So true story, hit and run yesterday. I was in a parking lot, not in my car. I was opening the back door for my daughter. She had a pie of pizza in her arms. Um, I let her into the car. There's some, a woman leaving the parking lot, hits the back quarter panel, and then keeps going. The open door, she pushes the open door with her car all the way forward. And it's like a busy parking lot, and there's valet guys running around. 30 people see this. And she's leaving the parking lot after that. <laughs> so she breaks free from my door. Thank God the door wasn't ripped off. So she's leaving the lot, like pulling out onto the main road. And I scream, don't you dare leave this parking <laughs> lot. Because I couldn't believe it. Yeah. So she pulls around. It's a really busy parking lot. So I'm thinking to myself, maybe she's just looking for a place she could pull over because she can't really stop where she is. Right. She's like right at the mouth of the main road. She makes a right at a red light, at a red light, makes another right and is gone. I couldn't believe it. Wow. The valet guy has her plate. Thank God. Right. But like a million people witnessed. I can't believe she would leave. It seems crazy to me still. Older lady? Younger? A a little bit younger than me, it turns out. I'm not going to, I don't want to say too much, but it turns out. So I call the police. Police come. As I'm giving him a statement, his radio starts going off. He said, hang on a second. He takes a call. <laughs> she caused another accident eight blocks away. Must have been panicked or I don't know. But but so he leaves. The cop he goes, you stay here. I got to go see what the hell is going on. He comes back. Another cop comes back. He's like, you're lucky. Considering the damage to your car and nobody's hurt, you're lucky because the other thing that happened does not look good. So – uh, first time for me. Uh, yeah. I've been in car accidents before, n- never like really bad ones, but I've never seen somebody flee the scene. No, this is this is wild, and especially with your kid in the car. I mean, Dude, the whole thing was, and my wife was the whole thing was nuts. So we took it to the collision place today, and like it, it's it's uh, Geico is her insurer. I'm not worried about it. Um, she should be worried, but <laughs> <laughs> the guy's like, look. Here's the deal. I'm not taking your, your car drives. It's just your door. Don't use that door. We're going to order the door, but I'm not taking your car until I have the door because it could be six weeks. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so let me get this straight. Some asshole hits my car and I have six weeks now without it. <laughs> He's like, well, that's not the bad news. The bad news is it might take us six days to fix it once we have all the parts. And so you're going to have to get a rental and the insurance will cover the rental. Um, but still. You know, but again, relatively speaking, could always have been worse. So crazy. Uh, you could be Peloton. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so my friends and my friends an insurance broker, in addition to my own insurance broker, and he's just telling me like what what to do, what not to do. Um, he's like, don't let your insurance company see the car uh, in your driveway. Make them come to the shop. <laughs> like make them actually talk to the guy that's going to fix it. You know what I mean? Like little things like that wow. that you might not be aware of. Wow. So this is a whole disaster. Um, but thank God. That sucks. Thank God everyone's okay. When when was your last car accident, Eric? Let's get deep. It's probably, I had like two, like when I turned 16. Two two accidents within like six months after getting my license. Oh, 16, that's a rite of passage. Yeah. I had one at 17. Yeah. Okay, bad or? Uh, I took out a mailbox on on my my parents' road. Okay, that's Uh, federal offense. (laughs) In Canada, probably. (laughs) It probably is. But uh, yeah, I was, uh, but fortunately nothing, nothing uh, major since. But, uh, but that's, uh, I've had this, you know, someone banged into me, you know, not, not serious, but 
I, I was told like, oh yeah, there's a the China parts shortage. Mm. Can't get a new bumper for three months or something like this. Yeah, so I, don't, I, 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 it's just the the day and age that we live in yeah. where a mechanics like don't bring me the car. Right. <laughs> I know. Like, I don't want to sit with this thing. <laughs> I don't want to sit with this thing in my parking lot for the next month and a half while right. I wait for for stuff. So, uh, what was I going to ask you? Oh, uh, do you remember the restaurant we went to in Canada? Was canoe. That? Canoe. That was awesome. Yeah. I'm thinking about taking the kids to Toronto. Should I go th- back to that restaurant or where, where would you go if you were visiting for two days? From out of town? Uh, well, my favorite restaurant in the city is, is this Italian restaurant called Soto Soto. Okay. Where, you know, it's, it's usually like a popular place, like during the film festival, all the yeah, yeah. celebs go to it and stuff, but it's, it's great food. And okay. It's just it's, like real, it, real Italian. Yeah. It's just, okay. it's like from, from Rome and. Just always good, always high quality. So okay. I, I can, I'll get you there. How how long how long have you been a uh, a resident of Toronto? Is that where is that the part of Canada you were always from, or did you move there? Well, when I took out the mailbox, yeah. it was uh, it was like forty five minutes north of uh, of okay. Toronto. My parents, I grew up on a farm uh, yeah. just north of the city. Are but, you taking notice of how I'm pronouncing Toronto? Like I'm doing it right? I'm not saying Toronto. I'm saying well, Toronto. Yeah. Don't people say Toronto? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the I think Toronto? the people I think the locals. The, lo- the like the the ones who drink a lot of Tim Hortons coffee would, would say Toronto. Toronto. You know? <laughs> I'm not gonna go that just, far. But I don't want to culturally yeah. appropriate. I don't. Wanna, I don't want to go that far. But, but I'm doing pretty good, right? Yeah, we won't. We won't go down. We won't talk about out and about and all that okay. stuff. Okay. Like that. That's that's got its own Canadian. Fair. Yeah. Style. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair the, enough. The big thing in Toronto right now is is uh, carjackings. Mm, so uh, so hot right so now. So somebody somebody like usually out of people's driveways, but. Uh, one of, one of the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, was like going to go see a film uh, a few weeks ago because after they got booted out of the playoffs, and um, uh, someone just he pulls up in his Range Rover, white Range Rover or something at the you know just in some shopping plaza, s- s- suburban Toronto. Someone didn't know who he was. <laughs> he yeah. said, "Give me the keys." And he knows it's a Range Rover. That's it. all that matters. Yeah. yeah, just was about to send it off to to wherever. Fright, so. Frightening times. Maybe they were stealing that to get parts for my repairs. Who knows? <laughs> uh, we ha- we had a rash of those, uh, Mike, in in our town. I got a rash, man. Nice. <laughs> well done. All right. Congratulations on that. Hold on. Well, you, you know, you're a Lebowski guy. Yeah. Yeah. I got a rash, man. What is he's that in from? The ba- he's in the back of the limo. Oh, I don't remember that. I don't remember that line. <laughs> well, I gotta go. It's a line. I gotta go back. I gotta go back. Donkey, you know what I'm talking about, right? Vaguely. It's right, been a while. Whatever. Anyway, we've had some shitty Thursdays. This one takes the cake. I saw the best performing sector is Staples. Ripping down 2%. <laughs> <laughs> nowhere, nowhere to hide. Oh, my God. All right. We're going to get into all that stuff. How are we doing? Ready to go? You know what I'm looking at right now? We have a lot of content today, I know we're going to so. this. Three claps. I got more than three coming. Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. 
Today's show is brought to you by Direction. We're highlighting the Direction breakfast commodity strategy. So what exactly is in uh, BRKY? Uh, it's got it's corn, it's wheat, it's it's sugar, it's hogs. It's basically whatever you put on your breakfast table. So the ticker is BRKY if you are interested in learning more. Canadian edition of the Compound and Friends. My friend Eric Jackson is here. Eric, say hi to everybody. How's it going? See the high energy that I come into the show with? <laughs> we need you to mimic that. We need you. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, I'm so happy that you're here. It's actually a perfect week for you to be here. Perfect period of time for you to be here because the most volatile, wild parts of the market are the parts that you know best. Right. I think. Right. Okay. <laughs> for better or for worse. Yeah. Right. Okay. Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, so thank you so much for coming. Are you staying in New York all week? No. Okay. Just, just blazed just, just in? Just for the day. Oh, that's awesome. Just for the day. All right. Get anything else done today? Uh, a little bit. Okay. Not much. Not much. All right. <laughs> we got so, we had some rain here this morning. So. No doubt about it. Uh, all right. Well, I came to you. I froze my ass off, so we're even. Uh, all right. And Michael Baddock is here as usual. Michael, how, how are things? Not good. Not good, Bob. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. We'll hear more in a moment. Duncan's in the house. John's here. Nicole's here. You guys feeling good? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Duncan's got the backwards hat thing again. Is that because you're looking into the lens of the camera? Or is that looking like, into the viewfinder? Yeah. Or is that an affectation? It's it's the viewfinder. It's the maybe. viewfinder. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we'll roll with that. All right. Uh, first things first. We wrote a really nice introduction for you, so I'm going to deliver that, and you could just correct me or react to it. Okay. All right. Eric Jackson, uh, PhD, which we'll get to in a minute, is the president and portfolio manager of EMG Capital Limited, and you started that in 2017, so five years. That's right. Okay. Uh, EMJ is a Toronto-based hedge fund focused on fundamental long-short analysis on companies where technologies, products, and or business models are undergoing change and innovation. Let's stop right there. You've been at this a long time, and you've been following innovative technology companies uh, way before 2017. Mm -hmm. What was your like entree to the space, and what made you fall in love with it to the point where you're – I guess you're doing this, what, 20 years or so? Well, 20 years ago, I was doing a PhD at Columbia. Right. And um, everybody in, you know, I didn't know it when I applied to this program, but you're supposed to go on and be, a, be an academic at a business school. Uh, yeah, I could tell like within a year or two that that wasn't for me. Okay. And, but that was in the middle of the dot-com era. Yes. And that was like, that was crazy times up at Columbia. Because usually the people who go to Columbia Business School, they either wanted to be bankers or work at McKinsey. And right. that was the only, you know. It, it probably rivals whatever 2020 or you know first half of 21 where people just sort of lost their minds yeah. and they were like we're gonna be rich yeah. and I remember Fred Wilson would come up there we're and change the world like, we're changing the world rich. you know yeah, and, yeah. and and the, the and the audience like the students would jump up and yeah man that's what <laughs> we're, you know that's what we're gonna do right and so um, <laughs> it, it was it was nuts so I got I got I drank the Kool Aid at the time and so. Uh, my father-in-law said, "Hey, I got a friend up in back in back in Toronto who's starting a software company. They're doing this like voice recognition stuff." Mm. And um, and Is that I learn learn out in Houseby. It, it, uh, it was it was sort of like a company, you know, in that in that space. But okay. they were they were doing the software, so they were kind of doing like Siri or Alexa before. Yeah, you know, twenty years before it really right. hit the main 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 you know the big time. But back then, everyone was saying. Oh, this is going to be the next big thing. You're just going to talk to your phone. We didn't have smartphones back then. So people were like texting on their flip phones yeah, and yeah. stuff. So if you could just talk to your phone, was was supposed to change the world. 
And uh, luckily, I was lucky because it turned out to be a real company with real technology, so it stayed in business. And the the first real venture capitalist that put money into us back then, the company was called Voice Genie, was actually their headquarters are just across this Bryant Park from us right now. It's, oh, wow. It's, it's this firm called Insight Venture Partners. Okay. And now they've raised like 11 funds or I don't know, 14 funds and multi-billion dollars each fund and all this. But back then there were just two 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 guys from uh, Goldman Sachs, young guys. The main partner is this guy named Jeff Horing. And you you know, he he had this vision for this for, you know, investing in technology and so just working there meeting Jeff uh, meeting other people in the industry that I was, you know, I didn't, I didn't mean meet many Belgians who were with Learnout and Houseby at the time, okay. but, oh, that's but there was like, okay. there was like, you know, Tell Me was like the big, you know, I remember, Silicon, nu- I remember Nuance, Nuance, yeah, uh, Learnout and Speechworks was a company up in yeah. Boston that was doing the same thing as Nuance. This company Tell Me was like the bell of the ball in Silicon Valley. They'd raised all this money, and um, anyway, amazing people like at all these companies, and so many, many of uh, which I've stayed in touch with to this day. Uh, and they've gone on to like amazing things, but uh, that got me, you know, you know, bitten by you know technology. And and but I'll never forget going through those. You know, obviously the dot com bubble crashed, right? Yeah. And, and I, I signed my employment agreement in March of two thousand. I remember going home and listening to the AM radio that Nasdaq. You might was, have actually caused it. <laughs> now, that you're, now, that you, now that you're telling me stuff. this. Right. But the the wild thing was is that. You know, everyone now is, you know, it's like, oh, man, this is the worst market ever. When's it going to bounce back and all this? I'll never forget from that period. It, it was like, it wasn't just like, you know, the end of 2020 came and everyone's like, well, 2021, it's about, things got to turn around. It's been like nine months of this stuff. Yeah. And then like, it goes all year and then 9-11. And then you like, you get to, you know, 2020 or whatever, 2002. Oh, this has got to turn around. And it's, it's, it just went on and on. It, things didn't really turn around until second half of 2003. Yeah. Uh, and it was just like you're sort of like Night of the Living Dead just walking through this. All the all the people who'd been attracted to the industry left and stuff. So anyway, that's a long way of saying I, They went back know, to law school. They, they went, went back, back to banking. Back to banking, back to consulting. I, the thing, B2B, the thing that I remember about 2000 to 2002 that really reminds me so much of this period is not just NASDAQ stocks crashing 90%, blah, blah, blah. But to your point, like you, so you have the dot-com bust and people forget it was not just dot-com. It was also on a parallel track. It was uh, wireless yeah. and it was um, te- MC, just telecom yeah. in general. Yeah, WorldCom. So then uh, you had WorldCom uh, and then Enron. Enron. Don't, yes, Enron. Right. Don't and, then 9, and then 9-11 is like right. – the the thousand pound you know fat lady dropping right. on the stage right uh, and and you almost can't believe it and then the malaise right goes on a while longer so let's talk about the malaise because I was saying that things are really people are really bearish right now mm-hmm. where you can see max pessimism before the market bottoms right. because eventually there'll be this malaise and this apathy where people are like yep stocks are red again and they sort of hit the acceptance phase of that cycle I don't think we're yet we're there yet. Yeah, I mean that's the million dollar question. Call the bottom but, anyway. But, Go ahead. <laughs> I'm just talking about like, it's sentiment. Forget about the bottom I, or whatever. But, but yeah, it, I it it can't really get worse. Is is what I feel. I start like I'll never forget the May May the twelfth May the twelfth. I think we have our episode title. <laughs> May May twelfth uh, was was a day. I don't know if you guys remember where the market opened like way down. I can't even remember what what set it off overnight in the futures. But like 
Everything was down, huge down. That that was the low for Kathy Wood's Ark Innovation. Until we, today, she's, she's no, she still hasn't. She's still above it, if you can believe it, from from a month ago. Okay. And so it's it's it just. And then that was the day that I think Coinbase, you know, opened at forty and closed at eighty or something like yeah. that. It was it was just a crazy day. Simpler but, times, Eric. But, but that's but that when I when I started seeing those prices, like I I thought, okay, well this is it. <laughs> now we're here. And then of course, so like know, Robin Hood bounced from ten to fifteen. Now it's seven. Right. I know. Yeah. I know. There's always because there's always a door in the floor, right? Right, right. and right. that's that's the thing that. What do you got, John? Throw the straw up. I mean, all right. Here's what we're looking at. We're looking at Holy we're looking shit. at Square, DocuSign, Zillow, Coinbase, Robin, and Teladoc, Peloton. These are the declines again. Square down 80, DocuSign down 82, Zillow down 86, Coinbase down 86, Robin down 90, Teladoc down 90, Peloton down 94. Holy these prices shit. for the companies that were public prior to the pandemic, these prices are now all not just below pre-pandemic, but significantly as though all of the new customers and stuff they sold over the last two years just doesn't matter. We're, we're going to get – we might crash through their pri- less private round of financing. What did what did Robinhood raise at, uh, in 2020 when they had the, the public shitstorm? They raised money. I don't right. know what valuation was, but they're $6 billion right now. It can't be that much lower. Right. Yeah, no. I, don't th- I think they have more it, cash it, than than market cap is yeah, what I read. I know. They're worth more dead than alive. I, 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 t- I tweeted that out yesterday, and uh, th- you know, this, this uh, my old my old friend who's a great investor said, uh, "Yeah, that's true, but <laughs> that it doesn't mean they're a buy. It's not because, an un- and it's not they're still losing cash. money, right? Yeah, exactly. It's cash that's spoken for, right? right. Yeah, it's right. very very big difference. Uh, so so I wanted to start with this. Now, what's going to happen next? is you're going to start hearing people say growth investing is dead if they're not already saying it. And this this is now my third or fourth go round, yours too, in this kind of cycle. Right. Um, but you're going to start hearing people say there's no reason to ever give these companies money based on their prospects five years from now. Like why would anyone ever do that again? Why would anybody ever look at anything other than cash flow? Uh, total addressable market as a as a metric for valuing stocks is a joke. The price of sales is dead. Right. So so that we'll go through that, and maybe right. that lasts uh, a year or six years or whatever. <laughs> How, however long that has to happen. Um, but that's like that train's never late. That's right on time. Mm-hmm. So I think I don't know. Are you hearing people start to talk that way, or not quite yet? Oh, for sure. I mean, and I mean, you turn on CNBC now, and everybody wants to talk about energy stocks. Yeah. And, you know, when, I wonder why. You know, when was the last time? You know. Uh, Maybe ten years ago that people were talking about energy stocks. Yeah, Schlumberger is super exciting. Yeah, <laughs> so um, yeah, growth is out. Um, energy's in. You know, everybody wants to kind of recency bias. Just keep you know, just uh, plow into whatever has worked for the last. But a lot of that so. is career. Sur- a lot of that is survival. Yeah. If you work, if you work in the markets, to some extent, I know you're supposed to not do this, but let's talk about people as they really are, not how we wish them to be. <laughs> to some extent. Part of your job is not just beating the market, but staying employed. Right. And you have to go where the money is being made. Mm-hmm. Like p- everybody to some extent, people that have been around for 30 years maybe don't have to. People who have been around for three years, they have to talk about what's working um, because otherwise you don't keep your job. Well, people right. are fiduciaries so, to their shareholders and their families. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. So you have to expect – Yeah, I, I feel like you have to expect some of that rubbernecking like, oh, well, what is going up? Can right. we sell that? Right. right? So, right. okay. So I think there's going to be some element of that. How how long do you think the pessimism has to run its course before people are willing to look at innovation again as something that they get excited by as opposed to being afraid of? Well, th- I mean, th- this 
pullback is unlike any other that I can remember in tech, specifically since dot com. And but it's not as it's not the malaise isn't as deep as it was back then because. I think you still have people that are saying, well, you know, it'll come back. It's only or, been, you know, it's only been six months. Yes. Saying. Yeah. We just right. started. Right. We just started. Yeah. Right. But compared to every other pullback, like you remember the Q4 2018 pullback when people were like slitting their risks and begging Jay That was Powell kind of bad. Get, that was 40. More. But this is like 90. That was yeah. also market wide. This seems, I mean, right. this is market wide now, true. But this seems very specific the, to and, tech. And, well, and, and you, you only see charts like that in the market. Amongst like the hot, not just tech because it's not the fangs that are doing that. It's the, discretionary. It's, it's the smaller growth. It's yeah. biotech. It's smaller growth. Um, whatever profitless tech people to, like to call it. Now. To that point, uh, Microsoft, Apple, and uh, Google are each down thirty. Mm-hmm. Amazon's down forty-five, but I don't know if you would bucket it necessarily with those names. But Netflix is down like seventy-five. Yeah. Yeah. Some, well, Net, Netflix has fallen out of the acronym <laughs> over the course yeah. of the last year. And now they're, Tesla, they're no, they're no longer finally, uh, Tesla's finally taken on the chin. That had held up relatively well. It, that was fast. Now it's down 50. Yeah. I think there's, I, I saw on a chart yesterday, they're still positive for the year. Maybe not after today. Yeah. But I've, Right. But then if you look at GM, GM has gone from 70 to 29. <laughs> so it's not like you did yourself any favor no. being like, well, I'm a value investor. So I'm in G- GM and Ford. You're you're as beaten up for right. doing Worst. that, dude. Right. They're as down. Tesla. They're down. Yeah. Uh, well, GM's down fifty three, right? And so when will they come back? I think they they always come back to growth because the investors. Yeah, because at the you know more than any other sector, I think, and I mean this is the reason why I'm attracted to it and why I invest in it is that this the, they have it, the, these are the best returns over time of any other you know uh corner of the market and this is I what think. you have to live through and to you have to them. live through it yeah did, did you know apple had three separate 80 percent plus drawdowns over the course of its life really apple you know and and obviously that's going way when jobs back. left yeah that and that, period. that's going back to, to like you know when jobs went on his like walk in the desert and all that but probably, don't, probably don't, 08 don't apple you think that killed. a lot of these names just won't come back to where their 21 high was no, that's true. I mean, I think I think both are true. Like, so Netflix had major drawdowns. Salesforce had major drawdowns. All the the win Amazon has all had, the winners like, get killed. All they these all, all these winners have gotten killed. Yeah. And, but then they come back, and then everyone can point to them and say, "Hey, but you know, you know, if we had just picked these ones." <laughs> but you're you're right. Like there are hundreds of others that you've we've never heard of it from again. You know. But so, from th- from this point, pets.com. new money can make a ton of money, even if they don't take out the 21 highs, right? Like there's maybe opportunities. They almost don't need to anymore yeah. to have big, big I, returns. I think any, like right now, Kathy Wood's ARC investments from the peak is down 77%. Yeah, 77%, okay? That's a, like a year and a half. Let's put, and let's most, throw this up while Eric's talking. And most of the, most of the smaller stocks, like the ones you put up before, are, oh, you know, are in the same, are in the same boat. Um, but, you know, how does that compare? Well, the total drawdown for NASDAQ during dot-com was, I believe, 74%. The Nikkei, when that bubble burst in Japan in 89, you know, it took 20 years, but it, it, that was like a 79% drawdown. Yeah. And so, you know, one thing I'd say is, or it makes me bullish about the sector is that ARC is not a not an index like NASDAQ was, but it, obviously it's a it's a group of companies like that, that we're talking about here. And anytime you see... A group, a grouping like that, drop seventy seven percent. You gotta start shopping. You, you know, you, counterpoint. You're not, you're not Count- gonna press your shorts. So, on so I agree things. with, I agree with that conceptually. The reason why I think that may not work in the case. So we have a chart up. 
This is three years of ARC uh, Innovation ETF, the flagship. Um, there was a point in January of 20, February of 21, where it was up 240% from the summer of 19. It is now negative 13 in the three-year period versus the overall S&P, which is up 36. So now anybody that was building this product into their asset allocation, that's the fucking back test now. That 36-month period of minus 14 versus plus 36 on the S&P. And we know that financial intermediaries, uh, consultants to pensions, whatever, nobody wants to put something like that into a back test that blows up the historic returns because you're not going to win the business. You're not going to bring on the wealth management client. You're certainly not going to improve, right? So that's what makes it so tough for something like that to come back because who's coming in now? It makes sense like who would have come in in January of 21. Anybody would come in. It was going up every day. So that's one issue. And then the second, of course, so that takes time to heal. The second issue is not the same portfolio. She's active. Mm -hmm. So it's not like an index where it's static components. Mm -hmm. Um, So even fangs have a better case to be made, right? Because it's the same fangs we're talking about. I don't think that her her top 10 looks much like her top 10 from the peak. So that's that's what makes an actively managed ETF more difficult to say anything down 70-something percent, you have to take a look. Maybe in this case, not, just because it's a different mix of stock. What do you think about I, that? Well, and also at this point, she is a slave to – and not she. All of these companies are slaves to their shareholder base who is a slave to inflation. That's the only thing that matters right now. And as long as people are seeing these headline numbers, even if it comes down to seven – People aren't have no appetite for long duration assets, which can be an opportunity for people like you who are are able to go in and see the business and say, you know what, this is overdone. I don't think most people can do that, but yeah, I, you know when when I went back and looked at some companies that made it through the dot com and made yeah. it through the great financial and crisis there's a list in, in there's a list. What, what was interesting to me was that several companies um, you can't say the class of growth stocks did this, but there were many examples where these growth companies, they had their moments of capitulation well before the NASDAQ or the S&P bottomed, right? So eBay, Microsoft, even, you know, back then, 20 years ago, and in, in, in .com, it was more of a growthy stock. Right. Uh, but both of those bottomed in December of, of 2000, which was, turned out to be two years before the, the Nasdaq. So they S&P. stopped going down yeah. before the, the overall yeah. market. Amazon bottomed the month after 9-11, which was a year before the rest of the market bottomed. So oh, wow. my, my point, and you know, you had exa- like in the 2008, Google, Netflix bottomed in October, November of 2008 versus the, the rest of the market. March. March. Right, so, right. so my point is that I think you want to look for moments of like panic. This is it. You know, when, when uh, on individual names. We're there. That, that you yeah, like. we're there. And then a look to, to add to those opportunistically. Some of the companies moments. that have had the biggest rebounds out of those crashes also used it as an opportunity to slaughter a lot of sacred cows, get out of a lot of underperforming businesses, do it under the guise of, look, we're doing what we have to do to survive, and even making big business model pivots. Obviously, the Microsoft of 2010 was nothing like the Microsoft of 2000. Uh, of course, Office and, and Outlook were still part of the mix, mm-hmm. but they had already been reinventing for a decade by the time that stock started to approach old highs. I think part uh, of the problem is that some of these names just got so outrageously expensive. For example, Shopify is obviously a great company, 
but the price of sales ratio ran up to 60, over 60 times. That's the Amazon of Canada. So be respectful. <laughs> no, I am being respectful. So, um, so, so Shopify. Is it? The, the, no. The stock price, what? Yeah. Well, if, if, I think if, uh, six months ago, it was the biggest it was. Uh, Canadian biggest, company by yeah, market cap. Yeah. It was, yeah. surpassed the Royal so, Bank of Canada. So one of the biggest e-commerce companies in the world was trading at over 60 times sales. Mm-hmm. Now it's down to eight times. So maybe investors are overdoing it on the downside. But this stock is now at the same level it was prior to the pandemic. And I'm guessing that the business is three, four, five times larger than it was pre-pandemic. Oh, for and, sure. And the stock's at the same price. Yeah, for sure. Like I, 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 Full disclosure, I added some yesterday. Um, and because I was just- Yes, I, I was, finally, somebody's I, buying something. I was, I was looking and saying, you know, this this stock went public. First, it went public in Canada. I think it was in two, 2015. Nobody had heard of it down here. Nobody up in Canada had heard of it. Yeah. And uh, it traded only up there for the first couple of years and before it listed down here. And uh, it right now, it's sort of ch- as cheap or cheaper than it was just in the early days when nobody had ever right. heard of it back in 15 or 16. This I don't know if you, is, you remember this. Hold on. You told me, I think it was you who said the worst thing you could be is the largest market cap in Canada. Is that you? <laughs> um might have been me. It, it, that's definitely gone you, around. Rim, you know, research in motion. The Nortel, Blackberry, Nortel, Valiant, Valiant. Yeah, uh, oof. Yes. Like you never want to be the yeah. biggest tech stock in Canada. <laughs> the kiss of death. Very bad place. things happen right so after. So this had a, this had a market cap of of over two hundred billion dollars when it peaked in November. It's now down to thirty eight. Yeah, I that's, mean, could it go to thirty? Sure, but sure. Yeah, but yeah, that, and so that's why I bought some because I you know, and there are other names like that where I say. Yeah, I don't. I don't know when it's going to bottom. I don't. You know, it could be six more months. It could be eight more months. But what's interesting about Shopify post pandemic? There's still a lot of business to be done. The comps obviously are harder because mm-hmm. the growth numbers from 20 and 21 are crazy. Mm-hmm. So you had that, but now if you also have a rapidly decelerating consumer appetite to just buy things, like in general, forget about the comps. Like you, that I think I feel like they're getting hit from both sides because mm-hmm. they also. Con- if you're in e-commerce, you need like a decent economy. And if the U.S. consumer is about to fold, that's not going to be great no matter how good Shopify is or Amazon or anybody else in the space, right? Yeah, and they, they also had this thing where the the founder CEO, Toby, uh, basically did a Zuckerberg where he like recently like created a new class of shares to give him total control now. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, just, okay. just, a, just a few weeks ago. So you got that hanging over like uh, and all the people. like. Can you, know, you do that in Canada the way they let them do that in California? Oh, yeah. You can. Okay. <laughs> Canada has a proud history of uh, okay. families controlling cable companies up there. Do you, okay. do you yeah, think maybe a way for investors to sift through where the opportunities lie versus what's just not coming back? So, for example, investor attitudes have shifted dramatically. People are no longer subsidizing money-losing companies for the – you know, you had 10 years to get – to get profitable or at least positive free cash flow. Come on. So maybe is that a, is that a metric to look for, companies that are still burning cash versus those that are cash flow positive? It, yeah, for sure. And, and I, you know, I, I think when you go back and you look at who have been the major winners in tech in the last 30 years, the common thread amongst all of them is they were cash flow gushers. So I don't, I don't care. Apple, Google, Netflix before it got into streaming when it was just sending out DVDs by mail. Um, Salesforce. Sal- Salesforce. People criticize Salesforce, like the old value guys used to say, Aaron, they're not Gap. You know, uh, right. meanwhile they were adding they cash, were cash flow every cash month, flow like huge, crazy, huge. Right. So that's the common thread. So for sh- you know, for sure, if if you want to find companies today that ideally that are that are producing lots of cash as a, as a signal that of their future, but I would say that 
probably the better opportunities right now where the, the people who will clean up the most at, the, at this moment, putting new money to work, is can you put your finger on the company that is burning cash, but everybody's getting it wrong, and a year from now or two years from now, it's going to make start making a, it tons will look and tons wise of cash. in the mirror. They were losing they were lots spending. of cash, and then they flipped the switch. Tesla, this is what happened to Tesla. Remember, everybody thought, you know, 2018, they're going out of business yeah. and all this. And they have a debt payment due, was like a recurring motif. And suddenly, 2019, if you, they did a billion in free cash that, that year. And, and uh, all the bears didn't see it coming. So all that and money the stock that they took were, off. All that money they were burning in 18 that right. the bears were like taking delight in. That ended up being productive investment they and, were making. Yeah, and, and everybody like loves to dance on the grave of Kathy Wood, right? And and kind of um, take shots at her when she's down. But do you know anyone else who in size had a trade on Tesla before that happened? That's Scottish and, guy, and, uh, Bail- no, Bailey Gifford, Ron Barron, Ron, Ron Barron. Barron. But yes. it's, it's, yes. a, it's a short list, Ron Barron. But so yeah, it's like three, three. So four. Kathy, I, I was looking, uh, you know, even even at today's levels with Tesla. I think uh, pre versus pre pandemic, she's up like eighteen and a half x on that Tesla, uh, you know, investment. So, how many other should just bought, She should have just stuck with that. So, so uh, Amazon was like that too. You know, remember when Barons did the Amazon dot bomb cover in in the dot com era? John, uh, we have that right. And but so, I don't know if you've ever seen this. No, so this was this was this was nineteen ninety nine. This was the one of these you know Saturday cover cover stories from. All right, so they were right. If this is ninety nine, <laughs> they were they were they they were right on stock price, not on the business. Uh, they were right because they were burning free cash in ninety nine and all up until ninety nine, and they didn't start going free cash flow positive until oh two, when coincidentally the stock bottomed and started to take off a year before the rest of so the. So what market do you did. what are some names that you think are in that cat in that category? So. Uh, so for me right now, I, I think there are two stocks right now that are hated. Uh, if you go on FinTwit, you know, you, you know, pro- pro- majority of people tweeting about them are saying they're well, going out of business. Let's, let's, that's your first mistake is going there. <laughs> no, dude, every, st- every stock is hated. So let's have it. Yeah. Everyone hates uh, everything right now. I, I'd say it's Carvana and oh. Open Door. Ooh. Right, okay. <laughs> those are the, those are the All right. two. Give me the case for Carvana. All right. So Carvana is one of the biggest stock debacles of 2022, and that's saying something. That's got to be a 90. Last summer, last August, I was think that a father son yeah. uh, founded yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. And they like personally lost like billions, like tens of billions or something. I don't know. That's down 94. Uh, I don't know. That means 94 percent. Yeah, give it, it to me in points. Three, three, <laughs> three hundred and fifty, three, three fifty-eight last August to twenty bucks today. Holy oh shit! My God. And th- I, there was a story. Uh, now this is wait, hold on. This is leasing used cars or buying used car. Which buying, is it? Buying used cars. Or, buying or, or, a used car or buying online. Or leasing. Basically, they've they've built these coin-operated de- dealerships. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Are they building one on the Meadowbrook? Do you see that thing going up? No, I hope that's not it. I think that's what it is. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, it looks yeah. like a giant Lego. Uh, uh, like matchbox. Car. It looks like a matchbox car set on the Meadowbrook. All right, but you don't actually put a coin in. You do. <laughs> they, well, you buy you a go coin. On, and you they- go online. You buy the you buy the car online. It's sort of an online experience. But when and and either if you're out in the sticks, yeah, they they bring it to you on a flatbed. But they do send uh, you a coin, don't they? For real. Um, but yeah, if if you're close, they and part of the reason why they've been burning cash is they've been building all these coin. Yeah, stop op- with the. Coins, maybe. No, it's because so the coins are made of palladium. The, the coins are made of palladium. Oh, look, Josh, <laughs> no, right. they, yeah, they, are, they are building that. Yeah. So, so is this so from, you, this is for marketing purpose? So, well, you, you go there, you buy it, you stick your coin in, and sh- 
cars start moving, floors start coming, you know, the car All right, comes down. All right, so that's down, a 30-second experience. It's probably very exciting. But is that worth <laughs> Is that worth structurally? I, so, I don't know. Part so, of me feels so like So the bears would good. say this is, they've never made money. They're spending all their money on these stupid machines. What's their competitive advantage? Um but the fa- fa- you know the fact like is hot wheels the fact adults. is this yeah, this wheels. was this was a darling amongst mm-hmm. all the, the top growth tech hedge funds. So what happened? Um, and they started taking Bitcoin instead of the the regular coin. I you know inflation happened. Uh, you know I want to get out of long duration assets happened. Cars. Um, no cars happened. Cars can't get cars. You know, you know, Perfect story. They, they went from like this uh, used cars are worth more than new cars to like. Ah, you know, like the world C- is ending. CEO came out as a Trump gut. No, I just made that up. <laughs> All right. So they had a perfect storm. It's right. like a terrible environment for them, but they continue to invest. They're, they're continuing to invest. They're cutting costs. Uh, they're cutting headcount. Uh, they, they have to rely on the debt market stuff because when people lease from them, uh, they've got to, you know, take that. They've got to provide the yeah, cars. With car the leasing business. So and it doesn't then, rise and the rates, cost, cost of capital rise goes rates up. rates kill them, no? Right. Well, it it uh, it makes it uh, a more difficult business uh, for sure. But you know, so are they going to die? Mm, I, I, you know, they've never made money. Yes, they have a great brand. Uh, people love the experience of buying the cars through them, despite the the hokey. Do they get a lot of? Have they been around long enough to be able to definitively say that? Do they have repeat car buyers? Uh, they they're if you do a cohort analysis of people who yeah. just, you know bought with them and you know what they've experienced you know through different years um the the engagement has been great and people have been you know very satisfied from a net promoter score and all this kind of stuff and they've got a lot, a lot of adjacent areas that they could expand into so, they, so they, they, they built this they, <laughs> they built this footprint across the country of all these coin out machines they can get into new cars they haven't been in new cars uh, to this point they can get into fleet management uh is it's kind of an so easy expansion. what's the other stock you said people should short <laughs> open door oh so, another one okay let's talk open, about this open door is sort of buying your house from you instead of you putting it on the market go online yeah which, my, which Zillow threw in the towel. They said, they said basically it's we can't, we can't yeah. do it. They said that, yeah. So they basically left the market to Open Door, and so that's wild to me that one one company gets completely out. But that wasn't their core business. No, this is Open Door's core business. Yeah, so they is, better be good at they it. Start, they started it, you know, doing this in I think fifteen is when they 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 got founded. And uh, and the last couple of quarters, surprise surprise, they've been free cash flow positive. Hmm. Now it hasn't been a huge positive Wait, because how much is it's the stock? On, it's, on, it's on eighty seven. So this is interesting. Redfin, Zillow, Open Door, all crushed. Hottest housing market of all time, not of all time, but hot, very very scorching hot. Is real estate like undisruptible? Is that what we've learned, or, or you think they have a real opportunity? Because I think the, the 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 broker, the whole the whole process sucks. You would think that there's an opportunity, but maybe it's harder than it looks. I, I think it all comes down to math and algorithms and how much risk they take. Because basically, they're 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 buying homes, and then those homes are sitting on their balance sheet for a couple of months before they unload them to somebody else. So if you're not good at you know setting the right price that you, and knowing everything else that and, happens and knowing that you can get yeah. that. You know, two or three well, percent. So Zillow bips. lost fifty grand on every house. On average. I forget what the number was, right. but one of the stories was that like things that they can't pick up in the algorithm is we've got a dog that won't shut up in the backyard, right? Mm-hmm. That sort of stuff can't be picked up with a machine mm-hmm. because they don't know what it's. They're so not. That made the house harder to resell, and the local brokers would say, the local realtors would say, we could have told them that. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's a classic John Henry man against machine story. Yeah. 
But and if that, you get and, scale, maybe it'll work. Well, and that's, I mean, that's been the criticism against Open Door all along. Was even, this a Chamath uh, yes, spec? Chamath it was, was a Chamath spec. Yeah. Is he still there? Is he still no. involved? No. He cashed out completely? Mm-hmm. Okay. No, he's so moved is, on. Is that one of the things that was hanging over the stock, though, or? I don't think it was sure that. it helped in the beginning. I, no, I don't think it was. It was a hot SPAC. I, I think yeah. people yeah. just, I think people soured on SPACs, that, so that hurt it. I think then people soured on housing, uh, and that hurt it. And so these now last- people have soured on everything. Now, since the yeah. Fed made their announcement, like all the home builders are like way down in the toilet. Home builders and, and, is down 7% today. Oh, yeah. does, this, time. does this trade with, should it trade with home builders should, at all, I, though? That I don't, think, no I don't think it should, but it is right but now. Is. So like, that's the way it's trading right now. So- even if we go into this nuclear winter period for the next five years, let's say, yeah. you know, in some ways, Open Door's, you know, value proposition is even stronger because what they're saying to people is- Get out now. We'll give you cash now. We'll get you out in right th- now. We'll, yeah. Three days, you can have cash. Not six weeks, not six months, you know, not, ma- you know, and, and we'll tell does, you this is what you're going to get. Does Wall Street value this in part based on the values of the homes on their books or they're not meant to keep these, keep these homes that long? They've done a good job of, you know, churning through them. Because I say, don't, don't forget, yeah, they'll give you cash now, but then they also have something to sell into a down market. Mm-hmm. Like they have to sell the house. Yeah, I don't think they could hold well, it. I, I think that's. I think. I think that's probably why the the stocks. You know, they should you know, just call BlackRock. No, I'm kidding. I think if if you're if you're going to argue the bear case, you'd say like, well, how much do they have on their books? And the yeah. markets hold. The market's changing, so whatever they bought in Q1 or Q4 or whatever, they're not going to be able to unload it or something. I. But I think you know. Obviously, time will tell. I, I think that they've got a great team, and this is all that they've done is build these models to to give themselves wiggle room to protect themselves on the downside. And we'll see. We ha- they haven't gone through a downturn yet, so Do they need to if, raise if, money. Uh, no, they've got plenty of capital. So it's okay. it's really just if, if if they're right, and I you know so of these two, Carvana and Open Door, I have more confidence in Open Door. If they're right, that could be a Amazon dot bomb. You know, in the future, and if they and if they really kill it, I mean, they could go from I don't know what did it say four bucks, five bucks to, you know, over seven. What's bucks. the consumer acceptance of i buying like? Because I think most homeowners, it's like not the first thing they think of. The first thing they think of is my sister in law is a realtor. Mm-hmm. So what? Like, what is the penetration rate of? Is it's got to be tiny, tiny, it's right? tiny. Like it's relative oh, yeah. to the housing market, yeah. and that's that's the that's opportunity. The that's the that's upside, upside. If you think it's going to take, that's off. the upside. And and they're and they're expanding like crazy. So they keep moving into more. They, they're in New York City now. You can, Maybe you, they should they, stop. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. <laughs> but okay. they. But uh, you know. So we'll we'll see. And they and they've got the market to themselves. They have no competition. Like. Uh, Redfin, I think, was doing this, but now they've done job cuts. Zillow's out of it. I think there's op- offer pad is out there, but okay. It's basically so, you, so you're okay. So you're saying that the, I mean, at the prices these stocks sell at, they're almost call options, right? On on the business, right. it's amazing, like right. relative to what their share prices right. were, right? So okay, I love this idea. I like that people are starting to think that way. Like, what are what does everyone hate because they misunderstand it? And there must be a lot of other examples. I was thinking about biotechs this way. I know that's not really your area. It's not mine either. Don't worry. Um, but these are companies that raised a ton of money. We had a ton of new biotechs come public. There, there's just – there's a lot of capital there, right? There's not going to be a lot of drugs. There will be a few drugs, but there's a lot of capital there. But theoretically, none of that should be economically sensitive or cyclical at all. We're, talk- we're talking about life-saving therapies – um, and innovation in chemistry and you know protein based stuff like what what is what is uh, Jay Powell have to do with any of that other than valuations those are not businesses that should be affected by the economy 
Um, therefore, if you are looking for growth companies that are down 80, 90 percent, maybe that's a good place to start looking. I, and, you know, again, think about 03. I think biotech beat the shit out of every sector coming out of that malaise. Right. Biotech in 03, they got a new guy at the FDA. He started approving everything in sight. And no stop. <laughs> I remember being in uh, – what was the one with the C that everybody owned? St- stock uh, went up 10x or something? Carvana. Not Carvana. <laughs> close. Uh, it's the one Martha Stewart Sel- got in uh, trouble Selgene with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, M-Clone, yeah, M-Clone was part of that era. But there were stocks that 10x. Oh, Biogen. And they were, a lot of them were biotechs. Yeah. Yeah. It was – in other words, you lost the dot-com names forever. Right. There was no more excited home. Like Those were gone. But biotechs that had raised a lot of money in the bubble and just kept doing their science for a year, sat quietly, all of a sudden, those were like the hottest growth names. So I was thinking about that. I don't know. Do you, do you play in that space at all? I, I mean, not really? I t- I've tried to, but I, yeah. I'm not, I don't think I'm smart enough, okay. frankly. Because and, oh, unless, I'm not unless, unless you play the ETFs or something like that. Or you're, I mean, what I, what I found is that you know, how am I supposed to judge whether this thing get, gets phase one? You got to take the drug two. yourself. That's really the only, <laughs> in my experience. All right. Did you, did you listen to, uh, also at the motor in with Patrick O'Shaughnessy a couple of weeks ago? No. So I want to, I want to get your take on this. They were talking about, uh, what's going to be, uh, what's discretionary. Like how does discretionary spending get affected by inflation? He said the money we spent, this is the motor in. He said the money we spend now is on things we didn't have 40 or 50 years ago. We don't know how discretionary or non-discretionary your Netflix subscription is. We're going to find out very quickly. So, uh, so much of our market cap comes from companies that provide products and services that weren't around 30, 40 years ago. I agree with this take. So we're going to find out how inflation plays out. Are you less likely to upgrade your iPhone if prices are going up 15 to 20, 20% a year? Blah, 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 blah. Your thoughts? I think he's right. Um, SaaS th- alone, in the GFC, there was no SaaS software right. that anybody was even talking about. I know it right. existed, but like- now we have 500 SaaS companies with 10 billion plus market caps mm-hmm. that are making the case that everyone's going to keep paying these subscriptions. And we don't know. Maybe they will. I, I, f- I feel better about those uh, f- kinds of companies keeping their, their customers because they're enterprise customers. And they're, well, they're Salesforce. Stick, they're stickier. Nobody leaves. Yeah. And, and Se- uh, web security, uh, Palo Alto, CrowdStrike, uh, some of that stuff you actually can't stop paying for. Yeah. No, you- yeah. I, that, there's a big difference between that and uh, Uber Eats or yeah, uh, yeah. Netflix, my subscription. So, okay, is so enterprise is less discretionary, yeah, let's it, say. Well, if you've made that investment, you've like invested a ton into Salesforce or, or whatever, you know, like you've trained people internally, uh, you'd have to like- The switching I, costs are, okay. It, it's so work, costs, work day would fall into that category or- Yeah, I mean, uh, but but there's a lot of variation, you know, obviously in SaaS. And so you've really got to drill into the details, but- but, um, you know, there's there's a lot of SaaS companies that came to market because they could and raised capital. But we're going to find that, you know, the smaller ones, you know, don't have the goods. But, Do- but I mean, DoorDash is the first thing to go in a recession. Who's I mean, it's so expensive. Do you think there's going to be uh, M&A activity in, in that space? I'm going to ask you about activism in DoorDash? later. No, 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 no. In SaaS, like, in software, in like, I, I just feel like there's too many. I mean, I don't know anything, but it seems to me that we had 1,500 IPOs in the last two years. There are so many publicly traded companies that maybe don't need to be standalone and work better as a piece of a larger entity. And we saw like Slack get get bought up by uh, Salesforce. You think we'll see more of that? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think Microsoft, Adobe, 
um, Salesforce. I mean, those, the are, buyers. those are going to be the obvious buyers. Are the valuations – like because none of these deals still, even at current valuations, would be accretive to earnings or anything like that. Like they're still expensive even though they're down a lot or maybe not. Yeah, well – I have a friend of mine who lives out in Silicon Valley. He's, a, he's a, just a venture capitalist, so he 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 never looks at a screen. Like uh, he's just he's out yeah. there meeting his. It's it's always funny. Like when I you go from the stress of like you know watching your daily uh, portfolio value to kind of meeting these VCs that just like are just focused on like invest, investing comp- companies. Yeah, we know we know those 12, guys. Twelve too. years from now, you know my client, little beach volleyball. <laughs> anyway, he, he's a super. They don't have to mark to market, so a, every day, a, every day is Saturday. He's a super sweet guy, and he, he actually told me. He said, "I said, uh, what what public stocks do you like these days, uh, Mike?" And he said, "Eric, I, I don't invest in public stocks. <laughs> I, said, I don't I, get my I, hands dirty." And I said, "Why?" Because he, he said, "Because in my line of business and being a VC, and, and he mostly does enterprise kind of uh, software deals. You know, the the companies come to me; they're private, and they show me the full books." Right, and they, and I can see like, how's the new cohort doing? What's the lifetime value of this customer? Uh, are are we seeing improving uh, statistics in terms of over time? People really like this product and yeah. going back and using it or not? And then that's what we make our investment decision on in public markets. The the public companies, the Fed, they they, <laughs> they, they do their best to kind of shield all the proprietary yeah, yeah. information away from from. And then you have all these other factors. What sectors in favor now? Mm-hmm. Like right, so it's it it's like. Michael Michael's basically jokes. We don't really mean this, but like uh, the the stock market is is college, and <laughs> private markets like kindergarten. So I know it's not really like that, but that's it, that's how it felt the last six months worth of companies that came public right. and were cut in half a week later. The first time they reported earnings were cut in half. It's like welcome welcome to the real world. So speaking of M and A, about this sometime this week, Kathy Wood was asked what. What uh, risks to your strategy most worry you? And this this rubs some people the wrong way. I I, I understand. <laughs> she said, the biggest risk is that our companies that have taken a beating will be taken over at current very low valuations, in which case we'd incur permanent losses. So we will fight tooth and nail against larger companies if they try and pluck these companies up for their superior assets at bargain basement prices. Mm. So in other words, she bought something at 50, it dropped to 20, somebody acquires it at 30, Locking in a permanent loss for her. I I guess that is a real risk. Like kind of like a bond being called early or something. I I mean I don't I don't <laughs> no one's get, gonna feel I bad. Don't, I don't get this quote from her. I I, I, yeah. I mean I, I'll defend her on a on a bunch of issues. I, I don't always see I, I think most of the stuff that she she's a very good marketer and most of the stuff she says, there's a marketing reason why she's saying it. I think she's you know, she's talking up like the risk right now is not inflation; it's deflation. I think that partly because that benefits, you know, the kind of kinds of companies that she goes after. So I got to think that this this uh, quote is something. You know, it's, it sort of shows her investors or potential investors that she's, you know, I don't know. She's There's really like so much value here that somebody else is about to come steal I, I mean, it from us. If if uh, Zoom, one of her companies, got taken out tomorrow for 150, she. She'd mark it up, and then she'd use the, use the cash, and she'd invest well, it in some other Zoom, stock. Zoom actually recently became a bigger holder than Tesla. Zoom's a cash flow uh, company. It's it's one I'd put in the quality Ooh. tech cash flow company for sure. Uh, it's it's one I own. Uh, What's the I, problem with that? There's no differentiation. Google Meet is just as good. Well, everyone said that. I mean, I feel but, like that's true. But though. I feel like uh, you know they, they're still the the, the dominant player. Uh, people love the product. Um, we, and they have other adjacencies they can get into. Uh, they're getting into kind of call centers and uh, phone, and off, more office software kind of stuff. So they're they're the 
you know. The, What's the market cap on? What's the market cap? Thirty, I think. Uh, yeah. Is that it? Yeah. I mean, it, it got smushed. Yeah. It that went, can, from, that can, what, yeah. went from 580 to 85. Now it's about, I don't know, 104 or something like that. Could, could, could Microsoft like potentially just say, let's just make Zoom part of Teams and Zoom's just do 30, this? Zoom's 30 billion. Why couldn't they get bought? Slack, what, what was Slack when it got bought? Slack was, I'm guessing, 20 Sorry, billion. Zoom has hundreds of millions of customers. Is that right? Yeah. Is it, is that, it's like a very, very big number. I don't know how much they're getting paid by all no, those customers. Yeah, yeah, a lot of those are like well, small, like one-person yeah. enterprises. But so, they're, so what? But yeah. their, no. last, their last report was a disaster. Their growth slowed pretty dramatically. Stock went up, though, I think, because it went uh, – because uh, they – I think they beat on revenue. They had big, big cash flow. Um, it wasn't as bad as people feared. <laughs> you know, oh, so. I wanted to ask you about this one. Um, what about DocuSign? That is – that has been – we're DocuSign customers. Everyone I know is a DocuSign. I know Adobe competes, but like if you say to somebody the same way, let's do a Zoom tomorrow, it's the same thing. DocuSign's a verb. I'm, I'm yeah. going to DocuSign you something. I need you to sign it. Like <gasps> 60 billion to 11. Oh, this my is an 11, God. It's $11 billion on market cap. Let's buy it right now. They should, first of all, <laughs> see, they should, the CEO should be gone and, and, and somebody should just like step in here and, fix, and like stop the bleeding. There's no reason for the carnage in that stock that I can think of. Are we going to talk about the activist investors? Where, where are We're they? We're going to do that later. We'll do that later. Yeah, what do you think about this DocuSign, name? yeah, it's in, that's a good case study. Zoom versus DocuSign. Like one, Zoom is- Same chart. Both Zoom, verbs. Zoom's, but Zoom's always been a cash flow positive. Even you think before. what I'm thinking? <laughs> DocuZoom? What's up, motherfuckers? <laughs> you guys, what do you think? What if? I'd buy it. What if? <laughs> they could probably go right to zero. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so she did know the Tesla call. You're right. She is a great storyteller. Um, the team that's unusual in their backgrounds. So what does that mean? She found really talented researchers, many of them from Twitter. Is that what makes them unique? I'm trying to figure out, like, what's the unique part? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know all the team. I hired half my people from Twitter either. <laughs> also, so don't I'm – not, I'm not saying that uh, as a diss, but is that what's unusual about it? Well, she's always been unusual. Like, yeah. you know, before the Tesla call, like, before she made all the money and had all the success, people hated her on Twitter. Like, again, that might be FinTwit, but, uh, you know, she, every time she'd go on CNBC and talk up Tesla, uh, and she'd throw a big – Price targets yeah. for that's Tesla. What, that's, that's what, what pissed people, people off. That's what made people. Eric, her her mad. base case for her bear case, I, I believe on on Tesla was a two billion dollar market cap. Her bear case, mm-hmm. that's not serious, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's nothing wrong with being bullish, but to have a bear case at two trillion. Eric, you said that there's a little bit of sexism and ageism, maybe even if it's unintentional, in the mix here. Um, you I noted so. that Morningstar criticized her this April for being 66 and not having a succession plan. They don't do that with sixty-six-year-old men that I'm aware of. That's true. I never hear, no. I never hear about a sixty-six-year-old hedge fund manager, for example, that how dare he not have a successor. Right. So I, I think there's something to that, but I, I also think that there's a contingent of people who, when they hear that claim being made, they just have this like really violent reaction, like, oh, now it's the woman card. Now it's so it's really, really hard. I think for and she, to her credit, never does that. No, she never plays that. I mean, never. I, she was asked point blank by that by Bob Pisani on. I give her cre- I give her credit because, not that I think other people would do that, but it's like it's in it's in the arsenal if you want to use it. You never really it's always s- there. Yeah, to her credit, you do really. At least I've never really really seen her address the haters of which there are. There's an there's an army of them. You can't because you because you can't. No, I have. You go But you know, I'm interested in growth tech stocks probably for the same reason that she is. Yeah, which is that. 
you know, I remember when I started my fund, I, I said I was going to invest in technology. People said, oh, yeah, you're going to invest in FANG? Is that what you're going to invest in? Yeah, and, I, and I never had an interest in investing in FANG, not because they weren't great companies, but because it's an acronym. So, you know, you, the money's been made, you know, that and, and the law of large numbers is getting is kicking in. Can I, can and, I go ahead? I'm sorry. But, sorry la, last year, I mean, they had a great year and everyone was saying, well, this is that fangs where it's at and stuff. But now, you know, we're seeing that the, the acronym is so that's such a good insight. I remember the bricks, mm -hmm. right? Like you had to be in the right. bricks, right? Literally right. by the time everybody was talking about the bricks, nobody's made money in 15 years since. So, yeah, you're it's totally right. So I want to I want to find the next acronym. You know, who who let's amongst make one. who let's amongst just, the DocuSigns and the Zooms are going to be the next? Make, let's just make one <laughs> next acronym. So let's take those ca <laughs> those cash burning companies that have all been like thrown out with the bathwater, and let's come up with an acronym. And they may not work, but at least we could market the acronym. When did Kramer come up with Bang? Was it 2016? 20, it was 2015, I think. It's so, a while ago. So we should do that today, and then we should you know. Plower the the money in, and then, and then ride get, it for the next we get five years. An ETF to license it, and we're we're off to the races. Almost no matter what happens. I have right? a little bit of good news. Finally, finally, interest rates are coming down. On what? <laughs> On interest rates. Oh, uh, bond yields are yeah. coming down. You mean? Yeah. Okay. But but with Kathy, I I, I respect her, and and one thing that amazes me though is that she's she's had positive inflows this year. She, and, and she's still up. She's at like I think seven billion now in in, in the core arc fund, which and it was like one point eight billion uh, at the lows of the of the twenty twenty pandemic. It was yeah. thirty billion a year ago. Yeah. Well, no, obviously. Yeah. But, but my my point. What amazes me though is that you know minus seventy seven percent, and people are still putting mm -hmm. money to work, mm -hmm. and and it's mostly younger people. And so she, you know, for, you say what you want about her, but she's put her finger on a corner of the market. And she's articulated it, and she's put it out there, and there are a lot of people she that are interested in it. She also is of the internet age, so she has global fans right out of the gates, even in places where they can't access her her funds, that it, people know her in Korea, they know her around the world. Um, I think what's different, so she might have a, a really big comeback. Like, if interest rates stabilize and some of these companies that she's in start to, like, really crush it and show that the money burning they were doing actually had a payoff mm – -hmm. That it's possible, but there are other comebacks on Wall Street where people aren't coming back from negative 80%. Like Buffett has had really rough – he doesn't care. But like he's had Barron's write the shitty article about him, how he's done, and has had the comeback. But he wasn't down 80%. It is this lot. is like – this is a lot, a lot to come back from. It is. Yeah. But if, if you gonna, just buy the fund today, you don't care about that. But if I you're mean, her, it matters. For sure, it matters, and yeah. for sure, invest. No investor likes to lose that kind of money. But um, Michael you, does. Most it, investors don't. But this is the most volatile, you know, subsector probably of the entire investing universe. So, if if there's anybody who's going to have a comeback, it, it probably will be from this. Side. I like this, the, I like happy endings for people, so I would root for that. Our just the, the 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 destruction is so severe. Our could double and still be down fifty percent from its highs. And it probably will get a double, right? It'll probably go up 100% at some point. Well, she's in the types of stocks yeah. that could double. If inflation right? slows down at some point, these stocks will double in four months. Yeah. I I, I I was on a webinar with Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley, who's kind of like the bear right now on Wall Street from a macro perspective. Shout out to Mike. We like Mike. And um, and by the way, you know, he he's, he's kept he keeps saying like 3,400, 3,500. I'm not buying till then. If we have a couple more days like today, uh, we'll, we'll be there. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll be there. But uh, but uh, I remember, you know, I asked him about, you know, when when things do bottom, what rallies first? And he said, you know, it'll be the growthiest 
part attack and the um, mm. small caps. Well, first in, first out, or first out, first in. First yeah, out, exactly. first in. Yeah, they've, they've been getting killed since yeah, small caps February 2021. Two years. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. February 21, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the bears, uh, layoffs in tech. This is like a, another natural part of the cycle that you've seen multiple times. So have I. Uh, <laughs> it seems like it's just starting. It's coming in hot. But, but these companies are not wasting any time. Like these are ten percent workforce reductions as like the the appetizer. Like they're they're not they're not uh they're not like they're not taking their time and seeing what happens. They're they're acting decisively. What do, how do you, how do you see it? And unfortunately, they're probably a leading indicator for other companies down the road. Yeah, like six months from now. Or so Armstrong whatever. at Coinbase is a very big layoff. Yeah. Is it eighteen percent of workforce? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so, all right, so Coinbase, uh, Netflix. Hey, wait, sorry, let me let me just jump in. So Balchunas just text, just sent us to me because I asked. This is ARC flows, so it's pretty noisy. But year to date, one point five billion in inflows. That is very impressive. For sure, never happened. I've never seen that before. I, I would I would love to say like I would love to see like a, a breakdown of like the demo of of who's who's investing this year. But I, I would think it's 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 skewing younger. Like like she's sort of capturing. She's got her brand, she's built it, and she's communicating. And people believe. I think it, it's probably a lot of people who were originally in the fund when it was going up, and they remember mm-hmm. that this is possible. Like so I don't, I don't think it's new people. S- I six, just don't. Six days I'd ago, love to know. six days ago, there was on Hacker News, Coinbase employees petitioned to remove execs, and there was. You know, people piled on. The thread goes on for six miles. And Brian Armstrong uh, did a whole tweet thread. This is really dumb on multiple levels. And he goes on and on and on. Um, And then five days later, big, big, big Coinbase layoff announcements. We were speaking about that when they reported earnings last week. He was refuting that there were going to be big layoffs and then they did it? No, it was just people, employees calling for executive change. That like was him. They want him out. I didn't read. I'm sure that was June 10th. That was Who June do they 10th. want in there? Do Kwan? <laughs> Who do you go to? I, th- I think they were complaining like he, oh, these guys cashed out after the IPO. True. They took a lot of money out of the company. He bought some big expensive house. But I think over the last stuff. year, they went from 1,000 to 3,500 employees. And the right. stock-based comp, we spoke about this one after they reported earnings, was absolutely out of control. Yeah, it it was was it like three hundred million dollars. It was like something. Insane it was it number. was it was a joke. I, yeah, I think it was two hundred fifty for the quarter. Maybe they were projecting nine hundred for the year. I don't know. It was, it was outrageous. Right, and and that's something that we've we all lost sight of over the last couple of years. And that those are real costs. Those the stock based comp issues, and that and that's probably going to be a rolling problem for a yeah, lot. Yeah, it's of not tech just companies. an accounting. It's not just an accounting figure. It's an actual cost to the company. Right. While the company's not making money, and shareholders especially, right? But now employees this year, when uh, you know the comes bonus time, or the options reprice. You know, hey, are you going to take your bonus this year in cash or stock? Yeah. Oh, ca- I'll be taking it in cash this year. Well, then that's going to have a, <laughs> that's going to have a direct impact on the company's so th- financials. Th- these are the layoffs. That we've oh, that's so interesting. So now you have so now you have people that are like, I'm not going to ever make that stupid mistake again. Right. Give me the cash. The companies actually have to give give you the cash. Yeah. They can't just. They can't just well, issue every stock. company. Every company's different. I mean, they have, but there are a lot that give uh, give that kind of a choice. Okay. Oh, I did this. When was this? Oh, Q one. Look, look how fast. Look how fast this guy is. <laughs> Good job, John, John. Very impressive. Three hundred fifty million. Oh my god. This is the first quarter of two thousand twenty two. This is Coinbase, uh, Coinbase. stock based compensation. 
$350 million for the quarter. I mean, come on. So this is this is why it matters. We spoke about this a while ago that the 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 market is the economy for for some of these companies if their shares are their currency for hiring employees. It matters a lot. Right. So some of the layoffs that we've seen so far: Peloton, Wells Fargo, Robinhood, Netflix, GoPuff, uh, Meta, Facebook, On Deck, uh, Carvana, Twitter. I mean, it's 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 everywhere. It's becoming like pretty pervasive. Yeah. I mean. You could say, hey, good for him to do it, take decisive action. But then you could also say, why did you have all those people in the first place? Why did you like, hire them? Did, why did you need whatever it was? And they weren't hired five years ago. They were hired like six months ago. Right. And 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 I and I uh, saw something when the layoffs were announced that as late as January of this year, they, they were offering senior engineers uh, new packages, you know, hiring them for 900 grand. Yeah, why not? The investors are paying for it. <laughs> but doesn't that speak to... We mentioned the Redfin layoffs. Um, what's WBD? So Warner Brothers, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. By the way, all of these media stocks hammered. Paramount's down like 80, 75 or 80%. Imagine, they all look like Peloton. Imagine Maverick didn't make a billion dollars. <laughs> so uh, the, 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 the Warner Brothers. Yeah, yeah d- exactly. Disney, Warner Brothers D- Discovery, they are laying off 30% of their ad sales team. Mm. Yeah. Doesn't this speak to the, the speed at which the, the switch was flipped? If Coinbase was doing what you said and as recently as late January, mm-hmm. that feels like yesterday to me. Right. How, so it's amazing how quickly all of this is taken, which was my point. Like they're not waiting and seeing. So how quickly, how quickly does the tight labor market untighten? I, I think we're going to see it pretty quickly. I mean, I think uh, – and the Fed is doing all this stuff to slow, you know, slow things down. And, and it's hard to say, you know, you know are they – I tend to think like there's a lot of stuff that's going would happen anyway in response to like all the stuff that's gone on this year, uh, aside from the Fed, that's slowing things down. And so I, I think a lot of CEOs are just looking at how much cash do I have on hand, what kind of, you know, what's my stock price, what kinds of calls am I taking from my investors, and they know that if they don't act, you know, it, that they're going to be in some serious problems. When did Uber CEO come out and say, "All right, game changed." Cash flow, cash flow. That was the first quarter. That was that was like ninety days ago. Not even maybe. Yeah, no, I, I think it was more recent. It happened so like quickly. A, a month, a month ago. Or so something. six months ago, how? I mean, oh, everything, everything is happening so quickly. Six months ago, housing was unaffordable. Now it's really unaffordable. <laughs> you couldn't afford the down payment. Now you can't afford the mortgage. That's the weirdest part about this thing, especially when it compared to dot com, is that things seem to be going much faster. Yeah, these these days than than that. Like back in back in two thousand, there's empirical data on the pace of layoffs from back then mm-hmm. that we could. I'd be I'd be really curious if it it feels that and, way. And back then, tech was not this behemoth in society, right? No, because like people had. People were kind of mad at Y2K back then. Yeah. Like, ah, that was a fraud and oh, the internet. Oh, yeah, maybe people got all excited about that. But, you know, we're, a lot of people weren't using the internet. They weren't going no, home to their AOL empl- dial-ups. Employment. And- How many people work for Apple and Alphabet right. and Facebook? These are enormous. Amazon's millions. As big right. as Walmart. Right. These are the biggest employers and probably the fastest hiring employers right. in the Fortune 500. So actually what happens with stock price – becomes more impactful in people's lives now than back then. Right. So that's what that's why I wonder if, how many people like if, how many people worked for Yahoo in 2000? A lot, but not that many compared no, to now. No. Right. So if we're a year and a half into this correction for a lot of those tech stocks that you had up before February 21 like being 80, the top, 90%, yeah. like it's 
are, are things moving faster? Meaning like we don't have to go through a four year, you know, waiting period like we did after the dot com. Like yeah. are, are 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 we going to move through this even faster? And as as like as amazed as we are now talking about these layoffs versus six months ago, you know, six months from now, are things going to turn again? It's hard to, it's always hard to see that in the moment, yeah. but you know, the people that are going to make, you know, the most money right now are thinking a year from now. Tell you, I'll tell you this much, six months from now, you're going to hear a lot less people uh, fighting over whether or not they could work at home. You'd be like, right. I will take the job, sir. Yes. <laughs> I will see you Monday Wait, morning. Wait, I have to relocate? Okay. Okay, right. where do you want me? Right. San Antonio, sure. Let's do, uh, let's do crypto. What, what do you have in here about Sam? Well, this, this goes to the layoff thing. Yeah. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, um, he was interviewed on uh, the, the Sone conference, on, you know, th- which they did remote again this year. Uh, what, are surprised they, me. What, are they, what are they doing? Uh, Just do it already. The, if you haven't seen it, you should go to YouTube and watch this interview because it was Patrick Collison, one of the co-founders of Stripe, who is interviewing Sam Bankman-Fried. And it, uh, I first thought he was lying on a bed with his MacBook like on his chest you know, in, in a was T-shirt. He, was he on his beanbag? But I think he was like, leaning against his headboard or something like this. But doing this, like, uh, you know, 45-minute uh, discussion to sewn in his T-shirt. Okay. But anyway, uh, super smart guy. I really, I really, I really uh, like listening to him. But one of the most interesting there. <laughs> this guy's the best. He's so, he's so, like, so unintentionally funny. I, maybe this is intended. I don't know, but he's very entertaining. But the most interesting part of this in- interview was that the uh, – the guy Patrick asked him, you know, how many engineers do you have at FTX? Big company, right? And he said twenty four, you know. And uh, it's not said, a lot. No, it's nothing. And and uh, he said, why so few? And and he said, well, we we believe, I believe that um, at just adding headcount for the sake of headcount does not make the company more productive. And mm. a lot of a lot of ways, it makes us. We think it makes us less productive. So we'd rather have a much smaller team. And he thought that all the companies like Google and Facebook and Coinbase, I'm sure he didn't name. Coinbase are overhiring basically loaded, and it, and it's also a status thing, right? You know, like hey, I, I work at you know, uh, you know, I work at Facebook. I'm part of this you know huge community or town or something that works here. So he said he, if he ran Facebook, uh, he'd probably employ ten percent of the number of engineers. That That's they have. crazy. Yeah, and the so, job market will say, oh, thank God, we'll take them. <laughs> we'll take a Facebook engineer right, right now. So, um, but part of that is also. When you build a large company, you don't want to hear about things taking two weeks. So you, so you're a senior VP of whatever bullshit, but you're like, I need this. To, I need this like next week. Right. You want a team of thirty engineers swarming that project. Right. You don't want to be told we just we we have some people working on things, and and you're gonna have to wait for that. And you think like, hey, I'm Facebook. You know, why shouldn't this I have Facebook. this team? How of, do we not you know, get, this? get more people? Then you know, yeah. <laughs> like uh, let's solve this problem. But it's it's not easy. But then you got to train them, and you gotta- he did a tweet thread on this the other day. I thought it was spot on. Just hiring is a distraction because training, and oftentimes people think, oh, I have so many other colleagues. It's somebody else's responsibility. The leaner it is, the more focused the team. But what is. do you do? But yeah. what do you? But what do you do? Listen, I, we struggle with this. Like we're we've been hiring like crazy. Um, what do you do? Do you slow down the rate at which you're handling things for clients and employees from an engineering person? Like what is, what is the drawback to saying I would run this leaner? Do you make your people work more hours and pay them more rather than having another body? Like what, because I'm trying to figure out how I can get more out of Duncan, uh, (laughs) candidly. Well, I mean, they, he was talking specifically about engineers. And so, um, he's our audio video engineer, (laughs) sir. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I remember one of the questions was, um, 
you know, do you just hire for IQ? Is that all you hired for to, to have the best team? And, mm. and he said, well, it's an important factor, but it's probably like 20% most important. The most important thing is uh, we have to hire people and, and we interview for people that can basically just deal with a lot of ambiguity because there's never a clear-cut answer in our business. And a lot of times these engineers are like writing code and they some of them will get really fixated on it's got to be just right. It's got oh it's 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 messy code and you know we I have to clean it up. I have to take a little bit yeah. more time. And you know he was saying like we Well, can't you hope that's the case for example with like nuclear missiles. Like you hope <laughs> right? At FTX yeah. it's not such a big deal but, uh, but but basically hire for those kinds of people rather than just would you Shoot. bet on Sam Bankman-Fried coming out of this in better shape than Brian Armstrong, for example? Like not personally, but like the way His that company. they're the way they're leading their organizations. Like which one would you prefer to bet on? You can't bet on FTX. Is this a joke? You could bet on Coinbase. Which would you bet on? The guy that has twenty-four engineers, or the person that just li- uh, laid off? <laughs> okay, but there's more to it than how many engineers somebody has. There's competitive position. There's uh, what stadium do you? Are you going to uh, bet on, on a bald man? Or right. a man with a with a beautiful head of afro. That's true. That's true. Uh, I don't know. What do you think about that? Too yeah. soon to tell. No, I, I I for sure would bet on Sam. Don't you think FTX. either of these two guys though, if they weren't in crypto, they would they would like be successful <laughs> in no matter what. Like they just seem to have that thing about them where they both can see the future and then also execute faster than anybody else. Mm-hmm. That seems to be what they have in common. Yeah, and I and I wouldn't bet. You know, t- you talk about uh, one of those cash burning ideas that might turn out to be a great idea. I mean, uh, I think that something good will come out of crypto out of all this, despite like everyone wanting okay. to say By this way, as, just if, a hoax. If you don't think crypto is a zero and I, and I am definitely in that camp of not zero, uh, Coinbase could be very cheap right here or not. Not zero but, is a super like, bullish posture. They, no, Are you but, sure you want yeah, to get I'm, that I'm, carried no, away? I'm, very, I'm, I'm being very adventurous by saying that, but what's well, the, I, I mean, I looked it up and they're on a multiple basis. They're as cheap as Schwab. But, but the problem with good. the problem is they're 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 charging enormous fees right now, and those fees that are, are going to compress. compress. Everyone knows that. No right. one's gonna right. no one's gonna trade at 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 those spreads and those right. fees. We all everyone knows that. And one day Schwab will be their competitor, right. as will Fidel. Like if this was really going to be a thing, mm-hmm. they're not going to compete with FTX. They're going to compete know, with you know what was a thing like six weeks ago. Well, how much is Coinbase's venture arm worth? Mm-hmm. Not much. <laughs> All right, much less today. Uh, Michael Saylor's margin call. Do you do you see this as like one of the most exciting will they or won't they situations in the market right now? So <laughs> let me set this up. This is uh, what, what is this? Quartz. All right. Uh, Bitcoin needs to cut in half for around twenty one thousand per Bitcoin before we'd have a margin call. It's at twenty one thousand. Pause. <laughs> That's the CFO of. Um, what's his company called? MicroStrategy. MicroStrategy in May at Bitcoin 40,000. So now we're there. We're at, are we at, where are we? Bitcoin is at $20,999. Okay. So now we're there. But he said that. The CFO said that publicly. All right. In the two months since MicroStrategy's latest Bitcoin purchase, it lost more than half its value. As of June 14th, MicroStrategy has lost $1.1 billion on its Bitcoin Who's bet. Who's our counterparty in this? Uh, uh, Silvergate. Okay. So um, best of luck. Uh, according to the terms of MicroStrategy's loan agreement with Silvergate, a margin call would be triggered if Bitcoin falls below 21000 per coin. Um, we, we, here, throw this up, John. Uh, the, the first chart is – so this is just like a quick history of when they bought it. They started buying it pretty good. 
fall of uh fall of 2020 timing was impeccable <laughs> um it goes crazy they buy another billion at 60,000 bitcoin falls to 30 then it goes back to 70,000 and they buy another th- they're up to 3 billion in purchases and a lot of w- which is now borrowed money um and then they just did another purchase somewhere in the mid 40,000s uh in 2022 I'm guessing they're done right they have no more money nobody's going to lend them any more money they right? okay so you would guess that that is not and what's what, her, and what's their market cap of the, of the of micro strategy it's tiny it's, the company it's, it's, i think it's it's i think it's way below okay the 4 well, billion so now years. next chart they have now lost more money in crypto than they've made Wow. So I thought this was unbelievable, actually. So they bought, they had bought more than a billion by the end of 2020. Then the price went crazy. They bought another billion. So wait, their unrealized gains was almost five billion at one point. So they right, listen, sp- you, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> <laughs> they have spent more than four billion on Bitcoin, which is more than twice as much as the company's 1.7 billion dollar market cap. So there's a lot of there's a lot of money that maybe bit. I mean. We're talking all the shit. Bitcoin could be 50000 tomorrow for all I know. I don't even know what it trades based on. Um, but this is a pretty remarkable situation, right? It's crazy. I mean, he, he and he's become a bit of a punching bag now uh, in the media. Uh, he's, well, that's how we're – the, well, the, the he, bigger he, of a personality you are on the way up, yeah. the more that will turn against you on the way down. That's, that's So the market cap is $1.8 billion. The enterprise value is $4.2. Uh, their value of their crypto is what now? Uh, I don't know, but it's they've they've spent more than four billion on it, and it's not that much. They've spent more than four billion. Their enterprise yeah, like value put, is four point right, two, and it's and, they, and it's and they have losses. And, well, their average cost is in like the forties uh, or fifties, I think, right. based on courts. He right. put up a new laser eye uh, profile pick on Monday, though. I think. Well, uh, well now still, I'm bullish. He's still, bullish. He's still tweeting one BTC is one BTC. Uh, do you think that? Do you think that any of this stuff matters to the overall economy or it just never got big enough? Which, uh, crypto is now slightly sub $1 trillion in total. I think you could go to zero and, and it wouldn't impact anything. I, there's, not enough, there's not enough margin outside of crypto for it to matter. I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, It's a lot bigger now, obviously, than it was. In Tesla the, has $60 billion in, in Bitcoin, like, right? Is that the, not no. $60 billion. I, uh, think they, I think they sold some, but— yeah, I think they still I think, have some. But out of all the publicly traded companies, I don't know why, 60 is not the number. Out of all the publicly traded companies, they had the second largest amount after MicroStrategy. So it does matter to some, I, I th- guess. I think it could. I mean, I, I, it, it does worry me <laughs> that, you know, they're, they're, I saw just on the way in here that some crypto hedge fund, you know, didn't meet a margin call today or something like that. Three-hour capital. That was the talk uh, the last 40 didn't hours. Didn't meet a margin. And But who, are, who is the margin loan provider for a crypto hedge fund? It's nobody systema- systemic. Yeah. No, I know. But I guess – It's I, not Goldman Sachs. I just uh, – I you know, I, I – I worry that there will be some follow-on effects, if, you know, if nothing else, even at just the consumer level. Like, Remember how everybody was like, ha, 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 subprime. It's this bizarre little corner of the market. It's nobody contained. cares. It's, it's contained. contained. It's ring-fenced. <laughs> right. Uh, it, Greece, nobody all gives right, a but, shit. But, 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 subprime and crypto are very different. Um, all right. Anything worth saying about the Fed? Yes, uh, the Fed's announcement yesterday, the market reaction today, any – any uh, any thoughts that that maybe people should consider? Uh, I wish I had some great insights. I mean, it, it the whole it's not your it's, it's not the, your it's not your the game. whole the whole uh, last few months just feels like schizophrenic. Where you know it's like one day a it's great, and the next day it's like the walls are falling in. And uh, even you know after the last Fed meeting, like we got the you know 
90 minutes or, or what? Uh, yeah, 90 minutes of like a rally and Huge. then like, and then five or six days of Same thing today. relentless yeah. selling. Yeah. And so <laughs> I hope we're not in for five or six days. I think of- the entire game going forward, the only thing that matters is inflation. I think that even bad economic, so we have yet to really see the bad economic data show itself. I think bad economic data will be cheered by the market because it'll be a sign that inflation is coming down. Yeah, I think so. But <laughs> what if he's doing what Armstrong is doing? He's fr- Here's the new thing I'm hearing a lot of people say, oh, the Fed is front end loading now. Okay, first of all, they're not. They're a year and a half late, but fine. The, the bigger cuts are going to be earlier this year, which will allow for more flexibility later with small, uh, bigger hikes are earlier in the year. And then the smaller hikes can come later because they already got the big ones out of the way. That's what people are saying now. Maybe, maybe that's wishful thinking, but maybe that's the same kind of approach. Like if you're going to eat shit, don't nibble. Right. Like if we're gonna if we're gonna do this, let's just get it done. Maybe this will be the biggest hike that we've seen, and then they'll like take some time to watch as this stuff takes effect. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does that is there any doubt that rates are gonna come back down? Like they're gonna come Eventually, back eventually. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, when it's, they crush it, when they when they crush the stock market to get, uh, Dow ten thousand, I'm pretty sure they'd be cut. And rates. and if like there are more waves of Coinbase Coinbase layoffs and all this kind of stuff, obviously for sure, it it. That there is going to be a uh, an impact from all of oh, that. Oh, can you tell me about what is the deal with mortgage rates and with interest rates in Canada? Is it like uh, they had rates at half a percent? Like they had rates like super low mm-hmm. and mortgage rates reset every like five years or something? What's the difference? Why is it, Why was there so much speculation in the Toronto housing market versus there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, home price appreciation here, but where you live, there was it's apples and oranges. Yeah, it's it's. Who uh, controls the Canadian? Is it Wayne Gretzky still? <laughs> who is the who's in charge of all this? Who's the most popular guy? I don't know. Probably, probably Kevin some, O'Leary. Uh, Andrew Wiggins. Kevin O'Leary. Kevin, yeah. Wiggins. Kevin O'Leary. I think he caused all okay. this all housing right. issues up there. Uh, no, it's a, they don't have thirty year fixed up up there. They most people just do uh, short term, you know, five year uh, mortgages that they renew. Uh, always sort of tied to the interest rates at the time, and so uh, most people are on adjustable rates because that you know they're cheaper, and so it's that that all factors into then why movements of the interest rates uh, definitely drive the housing market up there, and so there has been a frenzy up there. I don't know if it's been you know that different than the than pockets of the U.S. that have been been hot as well, but but. It's been a hot market for a while. The last time Toronto had a downturn in housing was probably the early 90s. And oh, wow. it lasted for wow. 18 months or, or two years or something like that. it's still a very international city. It's an innovation center. People want to they be get, there. They get a lot a lot of uh, you know foreign buyers that come in. But uh, I think the biggest thing that's been supportive of the market has been uh, immigration. There's like all the while that Trump was you know keeping the immigrants yeah. out uh, – the doors were Howard Lindsay said that like a lot there. of smart people were going and, there. And when the people come, they, they have this point system where, you know, you, you, they don't just take anybody. They you know, have this ranking system to try to take them the brightest people. Um, and when when they come, they mostly want to come to Toronto or Vancouver. Okay. Uh, and so you basically have all these people coming into the city, pushing up kind of demand for housing. That's pushed the price. Let's up. have some fun. Let's do some of your favorite stock ideas. Uh, for the second half and for 2023, I asked you, uh, but you could just go like whatever, whatever, whatever stocks you want to talk about. I always find that your takes on um, growth companies are fascinating and I learn a lot from listening to you. So uh, we did Zoom already. 
Mm-hmm. We did open. We could skip those two. Yeah. Uh, Farfetch? China's interesting because it's the only place in the world right now that's easing. Mm. Uh, it's not hiking. And so that's why a lot of people are very you know bullish on Chinese internet stocks, you know, some of which- This have, week. Yeah. <laughs> have been killed 70, 75% or something like that. Uh, so they've had more of a, a beating. Uh, I like Farfetch because they have, you know, it's a it's a London based luxury e commerce platform, but it's obviously got a lot of exposure to China, and it's been killed. It's down like ninety percent. They they're selling into China. They they sell into China. Uh, they sell globally. Yeah, I see but, their I see their shit on, because on it's the, because it's luxury. What is it? Luxury, China, luxury, what? It's whatever you want: handbags, shoes, dresses. Coke, is it pre-owned or just better prices? No, it's you know, it's uh, it's uh, new. Is it real shit? Yeah, it's real. Okay. So they they have partnerships. They just did a big partnership with Neiman Marcus to okay. basically kind of e-commerce. You know, the Neiman that's Marcus. what the department stores should do. Yeah. They're not. They're doing a pretty good job with e-commerce, but they should really right. go to experts. Right. To, to do this stuff. So because they have so many buyers in China, because people there like love like luxury, they have the exposure to China. And they, they've sort of were, you know, penalized for that on the way down when uh, China was, you know, taking all their, you know, DD to, to the woodshed and all that kind of stuff. But now I think they can they can come back on the other side. What percentage of your portfolio right now is in China related uh, stuff? Uh, very I know you know low. a lot about that market. Very, well, it's very low still. Okay. Uh, because... Uh, um, right now I, I have Farfetch. I have got one other name okay. that I have, uh, you know, sort of starter position in. What would get you like more bullish on going back to the names that you, you knew about, like you knew Alibaba bef- five years before it came public. Like, nobody knew about it when you knew about it. Yeah. I've so, ne- you know, I, to be honest, I've, I've, I've followed it, but I've never trafficked in the public stocks just okay. because I've always, you know, there, there's always been this regulatory risk that one day they could wake up tomorrow and yeah. totally We've change. We've seen that with a few, a few companies. The, not just their regulations, they could get rid of this VIE structure, which is how they you know, they, they become a Cayman's entity and list as a stock through that. But you don't actually have any control of the business and all this sort of stuff. So what's uh, f- what's Fryer Battery? Tell us about this. This sounds interesting. Uh, it's a SPAC. Okay. That doesn't make any – Just it's, kidding. It's pre-revenue. <laughs> so why wouldn't you love it in this environment? <laughs> pre-revenue SPAC. Tell me all they, about they, it. They, they, but they make uh, – uh, EV batteries and other. Wait, it's a SPAC that already closed its deal. Yeah. So where yeah. is it now? Four dollars? Eight dollars? Uh, seven. Seven. Today. Okay. All right, it's close. <laughs> Better performing SPAC. Yes. But so basically, it's a Norwegian company that's building a bunch of huge gigafactories to build batteries in Norway, and mm. then they just did a JV with Coke Industries to build gigafactories here in the U.S. And the reason why I think that's important is that despite the, you know, the pullback and we're still going to need that stuff. You know, we're going to. We're going to need electric cars. And right now, if those car companies, whether it's GM, Tesla, uh, who, who have Lucid, if they want to buy batteries, chances are they're going to be buying it from a Chinese-based Yeah, they battery seem very maker. intent, though, on also wanting to develop their own at some point. Is that not realistic? Uh, Tesla? No. Uh, no. GM. For, uh, they're making yeah. noises about like yeah. doing their own battery technology. Well, they'd be smart, but it's, it's a, probably a long road. So, yeah. so Fryer's interesting because they've done a licensing deal with an MIT uh, company that's that has sort of established technology, and uh, they're in a domiciled in Norway and the U.S. So, I think a lot of companies are going to be interested in doing business with them. So, if they but non-China outsourced yeah, batteries, yeah. If you think that uh, we're going to have to, you know, buy batteries from a Western supplier. Uh, you know, there aren't many to choose from. And so that's why I like them. Um, you call that a wild card. 
when you get something like when you get involved with something like that, what's your return expectation? You need you need like a ten x on something like that to justify the amount of risk you're taking. Well, or I got, not really. Yeah. Well, no, I have to see that in the blue sky scenario. Like yeah. for like no, not two, that it's going to happen, you know, but like it it has to be a possibility. A ten x has to be a possibility. Yes, for sure. Because yeah. you're you're bearing a lot of risk, yeah. so there has to be that potential upside. Yeah, for sure. Okay, uh, Bombardier. What what is this ticker symbol? This are it's, they? Uh, it's, it's on the OTC and in, yeah. in in uh, down here. Okay. So B D R B D. Yeah, Bombardier. So there's there's base. They're what did pr- I say? Bom- Bombardier. <laughs> bom- bom- they're, they're up bom- in Quebec. Bombardier. Up in Quebec. Uh, so they're one of like basically three private jet makers in the world. Mm. So there's Gulfstream. There's Dassault from France. Yeah, yeah. And then there's Bombardier. And so right now they've got the jet that goes the farthest. So you could fly from. Toronto to Phuket, Thailand, nonstop. Which I'm Which, doing very if you often. Want, so. If you're going to drop $75 million on a new plane like Ch- Chamath just did a few months ago on one of these planes, um, you know that, that means a lot to you. So they've, they've got a huge two-year black backlog. I'm, so ha- I'm happy for Chamath. So uh, I, I think it's interesting because if you compare it, you just don't, it's more of a value play for me. If you look at them versus Gulfstream or versus the the, the one in France. There's the two-year waiting list for, the, for this jet? Yeah. Okay, and so it's it, it should be three or four x where it's trading now, but it's got it's got Holy high shit. debt. Look at that thing! Look at that thing! Yeah, it's beautiful. So down fifty percent. The stock's down fifty percent this year. Just hit a fifty-two week low list. Yeah. Uh, okay, and so this is the kind of stock that sh- if if there's going to be a bounce in these types of names, this will participate. Well, it's it's um it's a little a little bit different because it's sort of under the radar. Like in my opinion, like it should all it should have been it should have doubled. Like if you'd asked me six months ago, it should have doubled or tripled by now. And but nobody knows about it. They need to keep churning out EBITDA every quarter. But they also and, need a stock market bubble to sell a lot of jets. Because that's what sells jets. Uh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean I didn't but, even say a SPAC bubble. I'm just saying like they just need is, a healthy market. But I guess one of the things that has been helpful for them is that the one of the impacts of the pandemic is that there's the there's the ultra chum chamoth rich, and then there's the the next level below chamoth. And uh, some of those people haven't ha- had private jets up until now. Yeah. But it, during the pandemic, like, uh, they had bat, to dip their, dip their toe in the water, right? Yeah. They, and then they probably liked it and they don't want to, you know, don't want to go back to flying business Are you class. a member of any of those uh, private jet uh, sharing things? No. But the they, economics but, of those are just not good still. Yeah. They've been popular. Yeah. So um, I don't understand who's paying for that. I, I would I, never pay for that. I have a private Jeep Grand Cherokee. Yeah. <laughs> No, I looked at like uh, I looked at all of them. Not, not that I'm traveling that much. I used to. I guess I looked at them in like 19. Mm-hmm. The economics were terrible for the user, right? Unless you're really, really traveling every week. The ones that have are stocks are have done terrible, awful stocks yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to finish with two things. We could do this really quickly. Where are all the activists? Who's who's gonna who's gonna step in here uh, on tech? Not even crypto, but like. Regular software stock down 60%. I understand it's macro forces that are doing this to a lot of the companies. But Yeah, what's Ackman doing? But, but where are these guys? Isn't this prime time? Well, two things. One is that when the economy goes bad, uh, the activists typically pull in their horns, like after 2008. You know, I don't think- Isn't that I, backwards? I, yeah, but uh, but I don't know. It's risk aversion or whatever. But I don't think you really saw activists jumping in until like 2000. 12. Icon's like, been pretty counter-cyclical, though. He just closed out a position in Chenier Energy, mm-hmm. where he's in the process of closing out, taking his guys off the board. He got in that in 15. Mm-hmm. It was almost like bankrupt. Yeah, He got in there, 
They put somebody new in charge. That stock has gone up so much. It's incredible. LNG. Uh, and now he is removing himself from it right. with oil where it is and with transmission assets worth what they're worth. Right. So he's been pretty, I think, adroit. I think he's what a, are you saying? A-D-R-O-I-T. Adroit? <laughs> we say adroit. I, I say adroit. What was I f- saying? <laughs> okay. I've never even heard you, that you word. You were trying to – the French pronunciation. Don't make fun of me. I learned it by reading. That's why I don't know how to say it. Uh so you, you think I, I, I think Icon's been the best activist. I really uh, do too of the, of the bunch. I love him. He, I really he, do too. But I think tech has been a terrible place for activists to play. He, I don't trade. know. So so take that back. Icon Apple. alone. Apple, Netflix, eBay, PayPal. Uh, I think but he's made some money there. I think if you asked anybody who worked at the company, they'd say, "What what do you what do you really do?" It was it was Ooh, more of a well. Distraction. He forced PayPal spinoff. Made a, he did do made that. A, made Apple pay a dividend and made I, Apple do a buyback was in that, dividend. What is, Tim Cook was not doing that. Wouldn't, you know, should I mean, now, some people would say eBay would be a lot more attractive stock if they kept If they kept it, well, sure. PayPal, right. Sure, but PayPal became a $300 billion market cap company at its peak. Uh Netflix, I feel like they were somewhat helpful there. I don't Huge. know. Maybe not. Well, you, you think they were? Actually, maybe they just I came in at the right so. time. Maybe they just got lucky. Uh, yeah, I, he, had, I, he had an amazing he wasn't return there for very long. He had a great return. Yeah, he had stock. a great return, yeah. but I think that was just more. Like it was his song. Market, they showed in the documentary. Timing. It was really Brett. It was yeah. his kid. Could have been right place. Could have been right place, right time. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, Wire Tech Yahoo, stocks. Yahoo was <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. an unmitigated disaster. Oh, for, I forgot about that. Uh, for the, the activists. why are tech stocks uh, tough for activists in general because innovation is so important and that's not their language. Yeah, it's it's activism is a it's a financial playbook. I think I think Chenier Energy. If, yeah. if, you know, you, you buy a dump truck company, and if you know, and they <laughs> stick, and they they, they, they own dump a, trucks, they, and they own a media business, yeah. like, and you can go on and yell at them and say, sell the media business. Right, right. I mean, that's spit like, it out. You know, raise your dividend. Uh, you know, you so know, obvious shit. That's I, I, that's I, not. I, yeah, and yeah. I th- they're not product managers, <laughs> so they're they're not getting into the weeds of some some uh, tech business and giving advice on what to you've done. To your point, like if you think about some of the really successful, and I mean over decades, not once or twice. Some of the really successful activists, like uh, you think about like Nelson Peltz, he operates these businesses when he takes board seats. Yeah. And these are companies that are on paper. They're not, it's not innovation. It's Wendy's. Right. It's Snapple. It's more he, private equity, you know, in it's a, almost in like a, a public pro, company. Almost like a private equity, right? I was going to say almost like a public equity with private, with a private equity with public shareholders. Right. And long, long, long term in, in many cases. Yeah. Right. I think that works, but I think tech it doesn't work. Um, and, and you know, and then you could say typically the the activists are Wall Street guys and versus or gals. Well, the other versus- thing is some of the best tech companies have these anti shareholder uh, share class structures where even when you get a company that should be disrupted, uh, Meta uh, by an activist, then it's not going to happen. And, and also, like Zuckerberg's untouchable almost no matter what goes wrong there. That's for sure. And and I think a lot of like if you if we try to name what are the tech companies that should be a target for an activist, probably the ones that have been most beat up are, Twitter. are crappy businesses. Yeah. Twitter. Twitter's a perfect example. So you got activism what's, there. What's somebody from New York gonna go onto the Twitter board and tell them to right. do? Like, Nothing. You know, like 
you know, the, the people that will kind of run circles around them. So, and they'll get to kind of like dawdle along. So I think if it, Twitter's best hope is probably someone, some, someone like Musk coming in and doing something there. And just, cl- and just because, he, because he, he'll know the BS that the engineers try to, try to feed them and, and probably change, change, cut people and change out people and stuff like that. So this is, this is a late addition to what we're going to talk about today. We'll do this and then we'll go into favorites and then we'll, we'll let you get out of here. Um, this kid, uh, Jack Reigns, so he writes for Finlit, which is like social media, blogs, Instagram, whatever. He's in the liquidity mafia. He's in the liquidity mafia. And I, I thought this was the best thing I've read this year about online content. And I, have you seen this yet? Yeah. Okay. What would you think? I thought it was – I thought it was spot on. I mean, I, you know, if if I wrote, you know, I don't write as much as I used to, uh, but if I go on TV and I make the case for something, um, invariably I'll hear from, you know, I'll, I'll get some kind of mean tweet or something or, or email like two yeah. months from now if, if it ends up being a, t- yeah, you told a terrible me, you pick. you told me to buy this. No, what, I didn't. What did you do? You know, why'd yeah, you yeah. tell me to do that? And all this kind of stuff. So right. um, well, yeah. let, me, let me set this up. So this is a kid. But Jack is like, 24, I think. Yeah, he's, kid, he, he's a phenomenal writer. So, th- so this is a kid that figured out something really important about himself and about other investors at a really young age, and it's going to benefit him. Yeah, um, I didn't know he was 24. So he's so basically like everybody else, he was trading meme stocks and spacs and all this shit during the pandemic, and it was working. And a lot of people thought they were really smart. Um, and my, myself, this all happened to this day. If I buy a stock that goes up immediately, it's because of how smart I was. So. <laughs> He built his account up to like $400,000 and he put 150000 into this thing called Catapult and wrote about why he was buying it on Seeking Alpha. All above board, like full disclosure, I own this, I'm buying it. This is why I bought it. That's what everything on right. Seeking Alpha yeah, should be. Sure. I have no problem. I think that's great. And then, of course, it blew up because it's a SPAC and it's interest rates and blah, blah, blah. So this is what he said. When you have a $60,000 salary and you lose 150000 it doesn't feel great. But that wasn't my biggest concern. My chief concern was that the article I wrote about Catapult had been viewed by tens of thousands of people, and I told dozens of friends and acquaintances about the stock. I knew there was a pretty good chance that at least a few of them had invested money because of me, which means that they lost because of me. One silver lining is that I lost more on this trade than anyone else. I certainly suffered the consequences of my conviction, but the fact remained that other people still lost money on my recommendation. This was a defining moment in my writing career as I came to two realizations. One, I'm not a market genius. I'm just a guy who played a hot trend well for a while. Two, I'm a convincing writer who could explain my arguments well. That second point really hit home for me. Uh, as somebody who can be very persuasive when I write, um, there's like a responsibility that comes along with that. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think most people in their 50s and 60s who are writing about market stocks – feel that responsibility to the extent that this kid does. So I I know you've been somebody that's been writing about stocks for a long time and you've done Seeking Alpha, you've done blogging, everything that I've done also. Uh, how, how do you feel about like what he's saying here? And is part of this responsibility ultimately on the reader who takes action based on something they read? Yeah. I mean, first it's tremendously insightful. I wish I, I wish I had been that it's insightful a great piece. At, at 24. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think about it, you know, I definitely think about it a lot because um, part of what you do when you write about something is, you know, you're making your case. You're, you're, you know, if you're if you're a debater in high school, you want to do the best job at, at making your points on the debate team. Or right. Something Here's like that. why I'm convinced on right. this stock. 
I'm going to make the case for it, right? Yeah. You know, and, and so you want to put that out there. But then if, you know, you, there are, you know, unintended consequences of that, if, if it, it's too convincing or something like that. So uh, should people learn for themselves? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, I mean, that's part of growing up. And, so he's like, I'm done writing about individual stocks now. Yeah. Oh, is that what I said? Well, I would say this. I wouldn't do that. I, was, I wouldn't go that no, far. I, don't think, I, I, would I think this. you should come back. There's a huge difference between being intellectually open and honest and giving your opinion and possibly being wrong versus doing what Micah Saylor did, which is saying, buy, take out margin on Bitcoin, sell your house, buy Bitcoin. There's, those are two very different universes. Right. Right? Yeah. So you do the best you can, right. and you're going to be right, you're going to be wrong. And, 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 and to be honest, like one of the things I like Kathy Wood for, and I, I think I do a bit of this myself, and I one of the things I dislike about most of the folks that I see going on business TV and talking is that most people, they never want to stick their necks out. They never want to make a bold prediction. They never want to, you know, if it's a sell side analyst for career preservation, I really like the stock, but I think it's going to go up 10% between now and yeah, like 18 months from now. But Eric, like his that. job is not sticking his neck. He's I, not I getting know. paid no, to stick his neck no, out. It's He's a getting paid analyst. to be there. Yes. Yeah. But, but I appreciate people that are willing to, you know, Give an opinion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Put it, put it on the table. Okay. And, and, uh, and that's so, why and, me and, and you uh, like each other for sure. <laughs> so neither one of us are afraid to do that for better, or, for better or for worse. Yeah, for better. No, or me worse. either. There's a 50-50 chance. Uh, of Jack's, be Jack's blog is youngmoney.co. Young, talented, up and coming writer. I hope he goes back to writing about stocks. And I think there's a way to do that right. Like there's a way to say, look. By the way, our friend Packy McCormick starts his newsletter off with, "I'm an idiot. Don't listen to me." <laughs> Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. And I, I like that approach. I like this idea of like, by the way, don't even read another paragraph if you're incapable of saying to yourself, oh, maybe I should do some research by myself rather than just blindly act. The other thing is people writing about stocks are not saying you should do this too. Right. Now, in his case, he was – Right. He the missed. reality is, people don't want to do the work. They want other people. They, they want, want. They want to outsource. Yeah, they their, want to outsource their brain power to somebody yeah, else. Yeah. That's what uh, it is. Anyway, go read that. And congrats to uh, young Jack for having that realization. Okay, we're gonna do favorites. Eric, you're gonna go first. What's something that everybody should watch, listen to, read in your world? Um, Iris Stone conference on YouTube. Mm. Um, one guy that didn't wear a t-shirt on his bed uh, to do that was Stan Druckenmiller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Uh, the Stan, he should have though. He should have. <laughs> uh, that would have been great. Stan uh, was interviewed by the other co-founder of Stripe, uh, John Collison. Okay, and it's about an hour, and it is, it's it's just extremely interesting. I really respect uh, Stan as an investor because he's made a lot from growth investing, and, and I think he he had a line where I I probably made ninety percent of my money on growth investing. But you're, he understands macro. He understands. Himself. Bonds. He, under, he understands himself. He's yeah. very, you know he knows his own biases and talks about and, it all the time. Yeah, and and it's just tremendously eye opening if you haven't heard it. All He's right. one of the guys, right? Like like tr tr maybe tr uh, trading trading Mount Rushmore. Yeah, he's one of those guys. I in terms of influence. I, yeah. What he's done, what he's built. He's definitely Mount Rushmore. I don't think I I don't I can't think of anyone I admire more as an investor. The thing him. is, can you can do you have space for both him and Soros? You probably don't, so you have to pick one of those two. That's a whole other I, I we mean, could we could do an hour I, on this. I just I, <laughs> I appreciate as somebody who says I'm an I'm a tech investor, I just find it tremendously impressive that, you know, he has this broader perspective yeah. and he's able to kind of move from these different domains. Okay, so search well. YouTube for Stan Druckenmiller Miller at the Sony. new Iris. He's been at Sona a bunch, so yeah, the new 2022. one. 2022. 
Okay. Uh, all right. Michael, what do you got for favorites this week? Hit us. The season finale of Barry was uh, – do all of you guys watch that? I'm not up to it yet. But I haven't seen it yet. Are you watching it? I'm, yeah, I'm watching it. I'm not up to the season finale. So, uh, no spoilers. Duncan. John, John, you watch? Is this? Is Bi- I haven't seen this. Is Bill? Ha- is, I haven't seen the. Is finale. Bill Hader like incredible or what? Yeah, he's amazing. This show is is it's so unique. There's nothing else like it. It started as pretty much a straight dark comedy, and now it's just dark. You've been, you've been pu- telling me for three years to watch it. I started watching it. You're dead right. I really love it. How great is Noho Hank? Oh, uh, one Mr. of the best characters on TV. <laughs> N- Mr. Kusina, where are you? And where are you? What? Where are you? Uh, Winkler's still on the show. I'm in season two. He's a prominent. Ca- it's so yeah. good. Yeah. We have, uh, we have people in the comments uh, thinking that you're playing Noho Hank. Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, that's, re- that's really funny. Halloween idea? Coming up. Halloween show. Uh, I want to give you guys a podcast episode. And well, let me just give you props for Hustle. Wasn't that great? Great movie. So Adam did Sandler. Just, did Justin love the it? The best thing he's ever done for Netflix. Did Justin love it? It's not a high bar. Uh, <laughs> Justin loved it. No, Sandler goes like back and forth. He's like, all right, this time I feel like being goofy. Where's Chris Rock? Yeah. Right. And then every once in a while, he'll do something where he's like seriously acting and it's still Adam Sandler. Like he can't really be an actor and not be Adam Sandler. But this is one of those serious ones. Mm-hmm. But I've never seen so many NBA stars, present and former, in one anything. It was so cool. Yeah. How goes Anthony Edwards as a villain? Everybody was great. Trey, I mean, they're Anthony all good. Edwards, if, if he's he was like good. hurts his ankle and can't play anymore, he could legitimately act. Yeah. I really, God, God forbid. I really enjoyed that movie. Did you see it? I haven't seen it. My my kids have told me. Watch it on the plane home. And I've heard it. Uh, yeah, if you're an NBA fan, it's uh, my. It's so my son is an NBA nut, and I showed it to him. He's like, "No, I don't want to watch this. I'm not in the mood." He's like, "There's no finals on this night, right?" So he watches it, and then the next morning, he's like, "Dad, I watched it three times already." <laughs> so he, he never ended up going to bed. Love, love, loved it. So great call, uh, Michael. Um, Cardiff Garcia's podcast is fucking great. So. He is not doing what did the Fed do this week? Like he's an econ- he's an economy guy. Um, used to be at NPR. He was at Financial Times. Yeah, you know Cardiff, right? Yeah, yeah. He's got a long. Have you heard career. a podcast yet? No. Okay. I didn't know yet. He's great. He's he's because he's very understated. He's not a uh, uh, he's not a promoter like like I am. Um, <laughs> more people should be listening to it. He's really going out of his way to try to find guests who are off the beaten path and have knowledge on something that most people don't have. So he's got an episode from two weeks ago about immigration myths, and he brings on somebody who, an academic, she used a database from Ancestry.com to bust every myth that you hear people spout about um, immigrants to America and what happens and why is this generation of immigrants Mm. not assimilating as fast as the Ellis Island generation or why don't they name their kids American names or why aren't the second generation becoming wealthy at the same way? And most of those – suppositions turn out to be false when you look at the data. So I thought that was a really great episode. And if you've never heard Cardiff's show, it's called The New Bazaar. And that episode is a really great uh, introduction to what he does. So shout out Cardiff. And we'll definitely have Cardiff back on the show, right? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're overdue. Yes. All right. Uh, it's been an amazing episode. Did you have fun? It was a great, guys. Do you want Thank to try you. to do this um, one more time just to make sure <laughs> we get everything right? Or you feel good about this uh, version? <laughs> Yeah. He's good? I know. We can take it from the top. top. All right. Eric Jackson, ladies and gentlemen. And where can we follow you? Where can we find your stuff? Tell everybody where to go. Uh, Twitter. Eric Jackson on Twitter. You add Eric Jackson? Yeah. Okay. What else? 
Uh, TikTok. Uh, what is it? No, <laughs> no not EMJCapital.ltd. Okay. Are you writing anything publicly or no? Um, not. Uh, I've, I've got a newsletter on Twitter you can sign up for, but I haven't okay. been doing as much. Another 10% down in the NASDAQ. You can start writing some shit. <laughs> okay. I got a feeling. I'm just kidding. Eric, you're the man. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. It's a pleasure to see you as always. Hope to see you again soon. Safe travels. Thank you. You're an amazing guest. Everybody, uh, check out Eric Jackson's Twitter and make sure if you are not already watching these episodes on YouTube, uh, we love that you're listening, but you could also watch. And Eric's handsome. So it's youtube.com. <laughs> slash the compound R-W-M. All set, guys? Yes? That's it. All right, we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Look at this. Airlines. Look at this monthly travel. Airlines, like, puke. Oh, my God. Travel was, like, the last...